You got stabbed over a beer? Yeah. Put a big knife in my side over a beer, do you know what I mean? Uppercut to my face, bang, right under my jaw. Oh. I had my tongue out because I'm fight like that. I got this big rip in my tongue and it bled for three weeks solid. It won't oh. stop bleeding. Oh. Sean, check it out. Come here, just look. Oh! Is it? My tongue was literally hanging off. So I couldn't lie back to sleep because the blood was filling up my mouth and I was choking. So I was waking up, full mouthful of blood spitting it out, like mouthfuls of blood every time I fell asleep. And it just bled for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Did you have to go to hospital right away? I was too busy for hospitals, <laughs> me, mate. It was very rare I went to hospital. A man in a suit with no head. So the body was in Manchester, the head was found in Stafford, to the body, and I just got released from Stafford. So this is where they found this connection, this is what they were questioning me about. Some masked men come to Kira's house and start hitting me with a, a medieval ball and chain. Every breath, I can feel going up the back of my neck, every breath, I was hitting in my brain. Stay still, and I'm like, I can't stay still. I'm fucking getting ripped apart by this dog, and this dog <laughs> pulling on me like, oh, you should have seen a state. I just me. laughed at him. <laughs> you could see right through into his life. Yeah, it's never got better, has it, really? Got your bail, though, didn't it? He got me bail, yes. <laughs> Our own dad and uncle are paying to see a dance. Yeah, yeah. My time, I've been a, a weapons maker, a drug seller, debt recovery agent. In prison? Yeah. A uh, weapons maker? Weapons maker, yeah. Shank? Shanking, making sticks. Remember this parcel between my bum cheeks? I've opened it, it was gone. It dissolved. What? Yeah, it was gone. Spice. It just made everything different. It was crazy. I remember seeing a boy on the floor and he thought he was Spider-Man. And he's trying to crawl on the floor. You know, we spill our secrets so they don't hold no power over us. You know, we allow the poison to dissipate. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise it eats you up inside. Otherwise it eats you up inside. It rips you apart and eats you up. Do you know what I mean? Loads of you have been blown away by the stories of Lee Marvin Hitchman and Kira, two separate podcasts that we filmed a few months ago that are getting lots of love and support. And, oh, my goodness, if you've not seen them, links will be in the description box, as well links to everybody's socials if you want to get in touch. But we're doing Lee Marvin Hitchman part two right now. And if you, go, if you go right back to when it began, he was born in a prison, went through a traumatic childhood. Some of the stories in part one, just, you know, hustling on the streets of Manchester. The story that really struck me was the dog one, where the gang had called you to the carpet and the gang leader had the dog. Yeah, to the estate, yeah. And they were setting the dog on you. And it was, it was oh, chewing, yeah. That's just one of so many that's going to be over this series. We are working with these guys on a book as well and we're already at chapter three of the draft so in the future months or years the book is going to be out as well so fantastic and if anyone wants to 
contact them for speaking engagements or podcasts. We are open to that as well, so just get in touch. All right, man, we left it on a cliffhanger, the last one, didn't we? We did, yeah. We left it on um, whether we got contact with the birth family because um, my adoption and stuff, I went searching for them. We opened my adoption file, me and Kara, didn't we? We did, yeah. Uh, like, worked together, you know, she was helping me a lot with the, you know, helping me digest what was going on, do you know what I mean? Because they kept telling me there's not always a happy ending at the end of the rainbow. And I never knew that what that meant. I wasn't listening to it. So when they finally called me into the office, so I was ready to open my adoption file officially. So they sent us away, didn't they, and said, yeah. right, we'll message you with the information. So she contacted me and said, uh, come into the office on Tuesday, we've got news for you. So I'm thinking, yes, I found my birth mum, here we go. You know what I mean? My dream of finding my birth mum. So I'm think, so excited thinking I'm going to meet my birth mum. And we went in the office and, well, they gave me a death certificate and said, we're so sorry, we couldn't have told you before. She'd known, Nancy, for months, she'd but known, she couldn't tell but she you. couldn't tell me. So the happy ending at the end of the rainbow, she knew what she meant by that. I never, I, then it immediately clicked in my mind what she'd been saying to me all that time. Do you know what I mean? They, there's not a happy ending. There's not always a happy ending at the end of the rainbow. So she was giving you a hint? Yeah. She was giving us a hint. And she said to us, didn't she? I'm sorry, I couldn't have told you before. Do you know what I mean? And that was a, a really difficult time. It, Wow. So when that certificate got handed to you, yeah. would you say that you went into shock? I went into shock. I went into plunged, didn't Major I? Major shock, yeah. Yeah, I was shocked, yeah. Because even though I'd never met my mum after she signed me away, yeah, I can still feel, I can still remember the last time she held me in her arms. I mean, I would have said that before, but... It really rings in me somewhere in my psyche, you know. Um, and I can remember the upset, yeah, that when she was having to give me away. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, but she didn't sign the paperwork for many, many months. Um, even, they had to go to London, didn't they? Yeah, they had to go to London to chase her, to get her to sign it. Um, so I was up in an orphanage. But I did spend a little bit of time in a foster home as well, a foster care somewhere along it when I was very young. I read it on my adoption file, um, an address where I stayed, like with a foster carer. So what it was was um, my mum was told I was being given to two doctors. That's what it literally says, yeah. I was being given to two doctors, Um so she's obviously being torn by that, isn't she? She's thinking, I can't really, I'm a drug addict. I can't really give him the life that I want to give him. His dad is, uh, meaning my dad, um, isn't suitable to be raising a child. Um, so she didn't name him on my paperwork. She named another man. Yeah, she. his name's one name and... Um, the name what she named was somebody else. And we know now, why don't we? Yeah, she because only named the first name, though. She didn't you know, She didn't give a full name. She just named a, a different name to the person who claimed to be my dad later on in my life, yeah? 
But we know why. We know why. Yeah, we know why. What a guy. What a man. I mean, I'll never know 100% that he's my dad because we never had a DNA test. We never turned up for it, did I? But... um, Looking at them, pair of them together. He does look like me. You know what I mean? And when... What happened was is my auntie's, the last time she saw him was at my mum's funeral. So... It was quite a while ago now. So um, they, he was a drug addict, but he's, and he's still a drug addict. Yeah. But he obviously back then he could mask it well. When we met him, it was obvious he was a drug addict. Okay. So he must have, when my aunties found me, um, I think they must have contacted him. She did, yeah. And told him, look, we found the guy who's Martha's son. Yeah. Um, so he said, Oh, that's my that's my kid. All right. So he said, All right then. We're going to see him. Do you want to come? Okay. So we unbeknown to us, we're meeting my aunties. This guy's making and lurking in the background. Man, I just thought he was a driver at first. And um, then we've gone to this bar and he's went over to Kira and said to Kira, I'm his dad. I'd said to him, oh, like, what are you doing here? Like, are you, are you a family friend? Obviously, he wanted his uncle because he was, you know, black. And he was like, oh, no, darling, I'm his dad. And I was like, okay. He was like, but you have to tell him. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, like, I just had to go and blurt it out and just not sugarcoat it. So what, so what happened was we're in this bar and she's come over to me and went, he's claiming to be your dad. So I, I just didn't feel no. I'd never wanted to find my dad. It's weird. I'd never went up dreaming of my family growing up and my dad never, ever came into it. Yeah, if that makes sense. Because obviously somewhere I knew that if he was a good dad, There was no way I was getting signed away. Anyway, I would have had a family unit. Do you know what I mean? So I knew somewhere, and my mum had always told me, my mum never wanted to give, your mum never wanted to give you away at birth. She wanted to keep you, yeah? My mum always told me that. That was my adoptive mum always said, your mum never wanted to give you away. But that troubled me as a kid, that. Because I knew my mum didn't want to give me away, so I used to wonder why. Why have I been given away then? Do you know what I mean? Um, And so when... When we met this guy claiming to be my dad, um, me and him have come away from these lot and I'm talking to him, just chit-chat. And his phone's ring rung and I've heard him doing a deal about Valium with Valium. I heard him on the phone talking like, yeah, I'm going to start his Valium. So just start a conversation. I know the fake capital of the, of the North is five minutes away from where I live. Well, I'm 20 minutes away, but local to me. So out of conversation, I just said to him, well, we can get them tablets around my way, cheap. And he just switched on and he's like, oh, can you get me some? Can you get me some? That's all he started talking about. Like, can you get me some? Oh, yeah, I'd be really appreciative. Oh, yeah, really, well, 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 well. Just kept repeating them tablets, didn't they? Yeah. And, every, and he phoned me a couple of times and it was about the tablets. Do you know what I mean? It was like, how are you? You're right. Nothing. Yeah, have you got them tablets there? Did you get them? Nothing right. about his, like, 
Nothing. Who no he sense. Is. Just like them tablets. Wanting so to like, get to know you. Nothing like that. No, 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 nothing interesting. So, so he didn't ask yeah. any questions about your life. Nothing. Nothing. No, no, he, no, he didn't. Nothing. He didn't do that. Just I'm your the, dad. Just the volume. Yeah, and he told me that. Um, he told me that he's got a, he's got a couple of other kids, but I was his oldest. Um, yeah. He's got a son I'm and buying, a daughter. I'm buying a girl. So potentially I've got our brothers and sisters out there, you know, who I've never met. And I don't think I'm ever going to meet them now because what happened was is on the way to go and buy the Valium for him, I lost 20 quid. On the way back, actually, it was like the, the air had just snatched 20 quid out my pocket. And I knew then that they were, this was going to not go well. Yeah. You know what I mean? I read that, didn't I? They said that they would like to meet him if he is the guy's Yeah, they son. Were, they was willing to meet me. Apparently, he'd spoke to them and they said, yeah, we'll meet him. But if it's his son, if I'm his real son, someone said, well, let's have a DNA test, obviously, right? So he's on my case about these tablets. So like I say, I lose 20 quid. So I knew then it wasn't going to go well. And we get there, don't we? And he, have you got them tablets? Have you got them? I said, I've already told you I've got them, you know what I mean? So I passed him a couple of boxes and he went straight in the toilet. And we went to my auntie's uh, compound, didn't we? Yeah. So we sat in the garden of the compound. I say it's a compound because it it's an enclosed space with a couple of houses in it and a big, beautiful gardens. So we're in my auntie's compound and we're in the garden and he's drinking and he's, he's smashed, he's high. And he starts telling us stories about himself, you know, not asking me anything, was it? No, I didn't. I don't think he actually even one question about himself. <laughs> he just started telling me these mad stories. And disgusting saying, stories. Started saying the most disgusting stories you can imagine. What um, like? He's put um, guns to women's heads, make them smoke crack. No, coke. Make them take heroin. Heroin. Yeah. yeah. Make them take heroin, and then up to now. To this day, we're still doing it, forcing girls to smoke crack by the barrel of a gun. So we've been doing it for years, right? And he's telling us these stories. Yeah, I used to, I used to go mad at your mum for fucking giving you away, and I used to call her every name under the sun. And as he's telling me these stories, I'm thinking, wow, I want to smash your head in. How dare you tell me that you used to bully my mum and? get on the case and all that. She must have been traumatised enough. And like, as he's telling these stories, is he proud of what he's saying? Yeah. yeah. yeah is he kind of showing Glorifying it? He was it. glorifying it. Like, and no I, shame in it, no. And like. I'm sat next to him, knowing what my girlfriend went through. And I'm thinking, you're everything that I would dread to be become in my life. Do you know what I mean? Everything I fought against. And she's got up in disgust, didn't you? Stormed off. She just got up and just matched Because I don't really want to say anything because, you know, could potentially be his dad and I didn't want to rock the boat. So she got up and stormed off, but I knew she was pissed yeah. off because she just went, put the chair back and just marched off. And he went, oh, I don't think I should have been saying that, should I, about forcing drugs onto girls and all that. And I went, well, not really. Do you know what I mean? Like, you want to right planet here, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, you want the same planet as was like, you're just telling me that you're forcing girls to take drugs and bullying them and... This and this and that, yeah. 
So he's ended up getting up, and we've ended up, I've ended up going in the house and telling my auntie, saying, auntie, can we just get rid of him? He's doing my boxing, you know what I mean? It's been yeah. So she just jumped in, the got him in the car and um, dropped him off. So she said, just insist on a DNA test now. Just keep him at arm's length, yeah? And whatever my auntie says to me, I listen to it because it's my, it's, you know what I mean? It's like close because I'm ever going to get to my mum, isn't she? My aunties and my uncles. I was going to ask what they thought of the situation. They were shocked and disgusted, weren't they? She was, weren't she? Yeah, your auntie. Yeah. About, yeah. She was, she was disgusted. disgusted. She dropped him off disgusted. And she said, right, keep him at arm's length and let's just sort a DNA test out so you can have a relationship with his son and his daughter. Yeah. Yeah? So I said, all right, then we'll do that. So my auntie owns her own business, so she's got her own offices, okay? And she's got people who work for her. So we're arranging to meet at 2 o'clock in the offices. So an hour before me and you were sat in the park and we never spoke to each other and we're normally talking to each other. It's just an hour it was just about both again. silent. Yeah, and I'll never forget it. They could feel the air. It's like we knew what was going mm. to happen, didn't we? I told you not to get your hopes up. Yeah, so I ended up going to my auntie's office and sitting there like a kid, like a four-year-old, like waiting for his dad. It was so sad. And he never shown up. He literally just stood in the window waiting for him, he never phoning shown him, up. phoning him. It just broke my heart. He never shown up. So as the hours are going on and the staff in the office and all can tell they're feeling sorry for me, you know what I mean? I never wanted that. Like, uh, uh, so everyone's silent and stuff. And anyway, my auntie gets on the phone to him and rings him, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. And he starts telling me about the reason why he can't come. It's just some messed up story itself. Like he's got some girl who's got drugs inside her and he's, coming off a flight and she's waiting for him and he can't be, do it without her and she can't he needs do to it get without the parcel. him. And he needs to get the parcel out. So he's got to wait for this girl coming off this flight from like Amsterdam or somewhere. So he's standing me up for a drug parcel. It's like, wow, like the guy's not going to turn up. You know what I mean? So I'm there from two o'clock till seven, never showing up. Ended up shutting the office up and leaving. So uh, he phoned, didn't he, once? You phoned him once, didn't you? And just ripped No, that's the story. Oh, yeah. After this, this really it annoyed me. Like, I was so upset because Marvin does it often quite, and it broke his heart. So when I got home, I had a few drinks, and I phoned him, and I told him what I thought about him, and I reminded him of what his potential son could have done to him for saying, you know, what he did. And he thought he could, like, you know, try and shout back at me. And I was like, do, do not try and shout me down. Stay away from him. We're not doing the DNA test. And then he was trying to call me back. I just, I literally told him that. She went mad. Absolutely ballistic. Phoned him at six o'clock Said, how dare you build his hopes up and you yeah. abandoned him again. You know what I mean? Cause abandoned it, him the first time. He'd done it the second I'm time. Back and, like, still an orphan because I got abandoned by my parents. Do you know what I'm saying? Again. Just like, to leave him sat in a window like so I just thought, wow, what how dare you do that to me? Do you know what I mean? And then he, he come back with, oh, I'm gonna do a DNA test and I'm gonna I'm gonna um bring one some 
we, we was going to do it through your auntie where she would go and get a swab off him, get a yeah, swab off Matt, and then she'd send it away, she'd pay for it. He never even turned Because up she said, that. oh, if it's the money, then I'll pay for it. Yeah. Didn't turn up for that, and then... We just left it. Then. Didn't hear nothing, and then we had... We had the baby. Yeah, we had talent. We the went down. He was born in November, went down for Christmas, and I walked into the kitchen and his auntie was like, and I was like, no, who are you on the phone to? She said, and then she'd pit speak and he was like, oh, we heard I got, I've got a grandson now. <laughs> so well, he's got a there. grandson. He I erupted again and just started <sighs> screaming down the phone. You don't even know if he's your son. Don't ever call my son your grandson. Just like leave him alone. You know, he just like tried to miss over all what he did and just like say like, oh yeah, I've got a grandkid, you know, because we had a baby. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, it's, it's like not, he, still doesn't, for the DNA. he doesn't deserve to be the baby's grandchild, does he? He didn't even give me any nothing, like no talk, no support, nothing. Like, you know what I mean? He just said that we was both drug addicts when you was born. Do you think he was trying to ask for a second chance? No. You know? No. He wasn't. He no. didn't, no. He didn't even. then he still didn't even arrange to meet up with his aunt to do the DNA test. Yeah, he wasn't even apologetic. No. He just didn't really care, really. He was just like. He just heard that he was back in London, London. and just thought he'd just get his um, two pence worth. And him. I know what my auntie was trying to do. She was trying to, like, sway, ease it a little bit and try and get the DNA test so I could have contact with my potential. Just so you knew, you knew where you came from, basically. Yeah, but it never happened. So he never turned up for one. So to this day, I don't know if he's my dad or not. So how, what's the age difference between you and your... Between uh, uh, 18 years, 18... He, he was, how old was he? Yeah, he was, a, is that what you're asking? No. Yeah, right, they, they oh, the kids. siblings. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I think he said he was about 10 or so years, mm. didn't he? Yeah. The, the, his boy, yeah, older. Yeah, he He's the he, oldest. He said by about 10 years, I'm the oldest, I think he said. And so, then he's got a son and then a daughter. Yeah, so we never turned up for that. So that was that. Um. I just ended up saying, like, we'll just have nothing to do with him now. There's nothing else we can do, is there? It's not worth the heartache. It's not worth the heartache, is it? No, it's not, is it? No, no if he's just going to keep letting him down and letting him down. Yeah, so that was that was a bit quite disappointing that I'm still on paper like this half and he's abandoned off him and he's there. You know, he could come and contact me anytime and, like, you know what I mean, try and build something with me, you know? Because when I was growing up, I always felt that I was alone, you know, like, because I never had no one who looked like me or anything like that, so I always felt alone, do you know what I mean? And then he made you forgot what it's feeling like that, didn't I? Yeah, so I got, I got really, I went really, um, went went down about it, then I plunged into this deep hole with it, do you know what I mean? But yeah, my adoption file, that went, that was incredible what happened, wasn't it? Um, so, when they gave me the information that my mum was dead. They sent me a letter saying, sorry, we've got to close your case now. Yeah, because the funding, what we've had to counsel your area has gone. So you're going to have to go and um, contact your other services, didn't I? So about a couple of months later, I phoned them up. I was really down and I just phoned them one morning and I just got on the phone and... I spoke to like a manager type thing and she said, what you've said to me now, I'm going to put in front of a meeting. We'll have a meeting about it. So they sent me a message a few weeks later, a letter, didn't they? 
And I got on the phone and she said, well, you're really lucky. You're one of thousands of people who we've kept the funding here. Like your funding's not been stopped. We can continue with your funding. Um, and we think we might have found your family, your birth mum. And we was just over the moon, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, my birth, my birth mum's family, sorry, you said we might find your birth mum's family. So we was just over the moon, weren't we? We was just buzzing our heads off. Like Finally, he's going to get a piece of him. He's yeah. going to finally find out who he is, where he come yeah. from. So one of my cousins got all the information off the adoption agency. But what's funny is uh, they had to give all my previous convictions mm -hmm. to my family. So they had to literally read all my previous convictions. But luckily, I'd never done nothing really bad. You know what I mean? I'd never been convicted or nothing like violence against women or violence against children or any child offences or anything like that. There was never nothing that on my record. So obviously they accepted me, didn't they? Said mm. we was going to build a relationship with me, you know what I mean? And then, like I say, the... Uh, Brought him along, but that didn't spoil it for me. That just made it all more part of the experience. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's been an incredible journey, hasn't it, Kira? It's been an amazing journey. Like, having from no, having no family to having loads and loads of family. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It was a bit of a whirlwind at first, wasn't it? Like, yeah, it's like a trip. Crazy. It's like a trip because it goes from having... No cousins to loads of cousins to loads of these people's names that we've got to remember. And you're like, it? I've got to talk to people. I Are don't have to talk to people. Yeah, I'm just rubbish with names as well. So it was like, I couldn't remember who was who, could I? No. And then, like, it was, I was like, oh, I don't know what to say to people. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you say, like, to my family? Do you know what I mean? It was really. It was like watching a little kid, like, yeah. he literally gets names, but what do I say to him? Yeah. What do I ask him? Are they going to like me? Yeah, so all my cousins remembered my mum. Like, they all had fond memories of her. And she was very loving to them all, do you know what I mean? She was like a proper kid person, one of the old Like say. a mother hand the girl. They all said she was a really, really nice person, so that was good. But, yeah, um, going through that experience was like a like a whole new... It's opened a whole new world to me, hasn't it? Like yeah. I never knew it existed, do you know what I mean? But, yeah, going back to my criminality and stopping the drugs the journey what i went on to get there was something else in itself very difficult to stop taking drugs it's because i had no family i had nothing to stop for you know i had no one telling me to stop it do you know what i mean no one who'd sit down and talk to me did i so i was just like alive why i want her yeah and uh it was just an escape for you wasn't it mm. Yeah, it's just an escape. But, uh, I was using the drugs to deal with everything, you know. It's funny because they use legal medicines to deal with things and their drugs, you know what I mean? So I was drugging myself from bleeding six. And when I first found that black that black tablet in the, the kids' playground as a six-year-old, taking that, that was me self-medicating and dealing with my problems, do you know what I mean? Because uh, I remember... The first drug I ever took. So I'm in this little park local to me and there's a swing in there and I found a tablet on the floor and it looked like a smarty, but it was like a black tablet. 
think it was black anyway, and it might have been red, but I'm not sure now. But I remember taking this tablet and swallowing it, and all of a sudden this wavy feeling came over me and I couldn't stand up straight, yeah? And I'm walking, like, holding on to things and I'm feeling sick. But what was weird is I sat on my bed, I went straight to my bedroom and I'm lying on my bed and I'm, the bed is literally, like, floating. And I was scared, but I enjoyed it, you know what I mean? I was Ecstasy, in, yeah? No, it no. was a tablet, like a pill. I asked my aunt, I asked my mum, my mum, about six months later, and I told her what I did. And she said, I think you took a black bomber. That's What's what it was that? called. I don't know. So that, that's what she said to me. I think you took a black bomber. You found a black bomber in the park. My mum was on about them recently. She took a black bomber. What is yeah. it? I think it was speedy bomber. or something. I think it was said. like a like a speedy, weirdy drug, what they all used to take back then. Do you know what I mean? Prescription? I think so. Was it a prescription drug, what they used to take? It I'm was not a prescription sure. drug, yeah. So like something like diazes now that I'm people I'm not are. sure what it was, but <laughs> I'll tell you something. I just felt like I was floating in this spaceship, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I couldn't, I, I was scared. I remember being scared, but enjoying it at the same time. So when I pushed open that door and that empty house when I was a kid. I went searching in empty houses when I was a kid. Don't know, I used to like uh, enjoy like my own company and searching places, I don't know why. So I'm in this empty house one day and I pushed over the door. The door was covering the thingy and there was a guy asleep on the floor and he jumped, so why are you doing there? And I ran off. But I'd seen all these bags in there and like these tips tins like a glue and I could smell it you know what I mean and I was intrigued so I went back the next day and he wasn't there but it was like all the glue bags was there and the Evo stick was there the big tub of Evo stick so I flicked the lid on it and I put my bag put the bag and I wiped it round and I started push blowing on it so I'm glue sniffing yeah. yeah I'm following what I can see the bags and it sends me into this this heavy high it's a very heavy high glue you know what I mean it's a dangerous drug yeah it's very heavy heavy high like fogginess you know what I mean and like you're just tripping like is it yeah. a bit like aerosol yeah it's like aerosol yeah it's like aerosol but a bit more muggy than aerosol you know because you're smelling this heavy thing do you know what I mean so I, I, I liked that but I liked aerosols more Aerosols was what really I connected with. So I used to take a lot of gas. I enjoyed taking a lot of gas. It was like, it was one of those things what I really loved taking, do you know what I mean? And um, especially because they had like my dad, like going mad at me and stuff. Like my dad used to beat me a lot. He was a bit crazy with that, you know, hitting me and stuff. Um, so when, when he used to behave that way, I'd turn to the gas. So, like I say, one day my sister caught me sniffing in the in the in the, in the house on my mum's chair Saturday morning. I thought everyone's gone out shopping, but they hadn't. My sister was upstairs. She had a line and stayed in. She didn't go time with my mum and dad. So as I got my mum's gas in my mouth, I just felt this whack right across my face. Nearly knocked me for six. Gas tin went everywhere. And I'm like thinking that, I thought to myself, that was a really heavy trip. That's what I thought at first. was like, wow, what's just happened to me? And then I've turned to see my sister and I could see her shouting at me. Yeah, I'm going to tell her. 
But by then I didn't care, do you know what I mean? It was like, uh, I was like I was using it as like an escape, do you know? Um, missing, obviously I had a lot going on in my life with my dad, you know, hitting me and stuff for we in the bed and me being, because of that, I was playing up in school, you know what I mean? And getting the belt and the strap in school and stuff like that. And I was soiling my underwear, you know what I mean? Like, so, and my dad didn't know how to deal with it, so he was just using violence, do you know what I mean? And then when I, when we got to 11 and we moved and the paedophile got hold of me when I was a kid, um, I used to use drugs a lot to deal with that, do you know, the gas and stuff. Um, yeah. The effects of gas, it's a very strong high in it, Jen. It's a very, and it's very dangerous as well to take because it can give you air bubbles in your brain. You know that, don't you? Yeah, well, we, I we didn't know that. We could have died at any moment. No, I know. And yeah. it, I think it was one of my friends who showed me how to use it with the yeah. tea towel and yeah. was spray. It? It was, I think it was Lynx or something. Oh, like yeah, because you're doing the Lynx as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, I used to do Tipex thinner a lot. I remember doing Tipex thinner. I've never done that. Oh. Yeah, so the. the Stuff what dissolves the white stuff. We used to squeeze that into our fingers and do it in school. All of us, it was a craze. We did it all the time. All oh. day in school, we was doing Tipex thinners. But our use was a delight to teach. Yeah. Sean met one of my school friends the other night at Michael's event, didn't you, Sean? With a hand grenade story that just was mind-blowing. I yeah. heard about this one. <laughs> yeah, so my friend uh -huh. I went to school with... Uh, Can't so, name him, but no. yeah. welcome to come on the podcast anytime, my friend. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> he, told, he told us he went to a meeting and... Um, I had to two, pull two pins on two live grenades and make sure his area wasn't um, being divulged and eaten up by another gang. So he took two grenades and said, look, this is what you're getting if you come on my estate, you know what I mean, on our estate. Like, so, yeah, uh, it never got took over, did it? <laughs> and the grenades didn't go <laughs> Certainly off. didn't. No, he said when he went back to his mate's car, he was panicking, like, put the <laughs> pins back. In yeah, that bet he was. <laughs> Like, yeah, because grenades was for sale about a lot around for a while. How much were we talking? Kind of like pineapples, didn't they? They called them pineapples. That's what they're called, yeah. Because they around for a bit. You could buy them. Obviously, I wasn't involved in anything like that. But, yeah, you could buy them. You could buy them. So you're saying that Jen was bigger than Reggie Cray? What? <laughs> oh, taller. Like, taller. You made it sound like yeah. I was that. I know, Mustache. yeah. Mustache. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he's taller, yeah. Yeah, I was away with Reggie Cray. Oh, Reggie, rest in, rest in peace. Um, Reggie Cray was a lovely fella, really. He was a nice fellow. He uh, wrote me a card for my niece for a birthday one day, and it was just a scribble. Honestly, he's right. It was crazy. <laughs> I think he was left-handed like me. His writing was just out of this world, just madness. Yeah, and I think I've still got it somewhere. Well, we sent it to her and she's probably still got it. But yeah, it was like, I told him to write, stay out of trouble on it or something. You just couldn't read it at all, do you know what I mean? But yeah, first time we met Reggie, uh, we was in the gym and the gym officer had, uh, had um, a sports shop in the gym office so, like, you walked in and you had a big selection of trainers up, like, on this shelving set. What he'd come straight out of his shop. But because we was in, like, Norfolk, it was like a little town, you know what I mean? He, the prison officer, like, was at the, the local trainer shop as well. So we've gone in and we're in the gym and um, 
Reggie's come in and we're all like, oh my God, there's Reggie Cray, you know, it all knew he was there and he walked in the gym. Like this big gold chain on, gold chain and stuff. Yeah, it was just like mad seeing Reggie Cray. But tiny man, first thing I thought was, wow, how small is he? They must run London, that's, you know what I mean? Small in stature. I was expecting like some big six foot five man, you know what I mean? And he was just like, little Reggie Cray, yeah, wow. But what a powerful man he was, but yeah, he, he came in and there was a lad there and he smashed in Reebok classics, what you could tell was hanging off his feet. And he went oh, he went like that to the gym office, so he went, yeah, he fit him out with a pair of trainers. So when one of the lads come over and went, yeah, Reggie wants to buy you a pair of trainers. So this lad went in the gym office and came out with a brand new pair of Reebok classic. You know mm. what I mean? Which was a nice gesture, wasn't it? Yeah. I really thought that's nice, yeah. But you tend to, Big, big gangsters like that, they tend to be really nice. You know what I mean? Like I've met a few of them who like, have gave me money, do you know what I mean? And like I remember Noonan years and years ago, I was outside a pub in Hume and he was talking to the landlord outside. No, he came outside and went, hey, what are you doing here? And like, the lad was with him, there's Noonan, what does he want with you? And like, I was waiting to buy drugs. So he said, what, what are you doing? So I said, oh, no, I'm just hanging around. And he, so he said, um, so he's gone, keep out of trouble and give us 20 quid, right? So we've walked around the corner, I've had to run to the phone box, phone this guy who was buying me drugs and say, don't come to the pub. Um, Noonan's outside, if he sees you scoring off buying drugs off, he's going to beat you, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so we ended up running off around the corner and like getting it from somewhere else. But yeah, Reggie Cray was like, what a top-notch guy, like he lived on the billet next to us, like so it was a semi-open conditions, like you could walk around the grounds, you know, like in work route time and weekends and stuff. So he just used to walk around freely and you'd often see him sat on the back of the billets on his own, you know, just deep in thought, like, and we'd always knew when to like leave him alone or when to have a little bit of a banter with him, do you know what I mean? And he was like proper old school, like he left his TV under his bed and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, and he just wouldn't watch it. It was just under his bed, <laughs> yeah. And um, he had an old Roberts radio and all these walls were filled with all these photos of all these boxes and gangsters, you know, with his met like photographs and stuff. He was still in that era, wasn't he? That era. Was he a bit of a celebrity in the prison then? Yeah, oh yeah, of course, yeah. And all the, all the cockneys like told us clearly, like he was untouchable, do you know what I mean? Like it was only me and another two two of Manchester lads in there at the time. One of them, a Salford kid called Gavin here. Yeah. He was on the billet, same with him, you know what I mean? So he was telling me like what he was like on the billet and that. And he used to give him all tobacco, you know, on payday and stuff. <laughs> so we had people doing tobacco for him, you know, like he was a bit of a tobacco baron. So we put a quarter on top so you could borrow one item. You know, like if you need to buy drugs or anything, you can't afford it. You buy items, you borrow items. So a quarter on top, he'd charge off half ounce or 50% on top, you know what I mean? So we'd get a lot of business. And uh, yeah, the, um, Gavin said that he used to give him all tobacco, you know, on the weekends and stuff, which <laughs> is nice of him, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, we didn't know, little did we know he had stomach cancer at the time. I didn't, he probably knew himself. But he probably kept it to himself, you know what I mean? So I get out of prison and I'm reading in the paper, my God, Reggie Cray's got stomach cancer. And we was all, I was like, oh my God, I've just been away from him for months and never knew, you know what I mean? It was quite sad and it ended up taking his life in the end. 
Then we died not not many months after I got out of prison. I got out from where he was in that Norfolk. He got out um, compassionate. They released him just before he was dying. So we died a free man, I think, which is a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think he deserved that. Did enough prison, didn't he, Reggie Frey? <coughs> Probably did over 30 years, do you know what I mean? So he deserved to get out. But, like, yeah, he was such a nice fella to talk to, do you know what I mean? Really nice. Open fella, nice fella, yeah. What other characters did you bump into in prison? What other characters <laughs> did I bump into? Didn't I bump into? Um, I was in Forest Bank once with uh, the two kids. They ended up getting it, getting jumped on a sweatbox and getting going to Spain or getting caught in some other country in the end. But they got out from there. Um, they've, they've been. There was only young lads as well at the time. They've. Um, they was ended up coming to Forest Bank from like a security move, and um, they was the only YOs on the wing. So in Forest Bank, they'd let like four young offenders live with the older lads, believe it or not. Like so, if a lad was just twenty or nineteen, they'd let them live with the lads who was over twenty-one. Do you know what I mean? Which was weird, but it was like. Young offenders used to be on there. And these kids, in the end, like, there was a few of them, and some of them was, like, proper, turned into real, well-known gangsters, you know what I mean? Proper boys, like, Salford boys and that. But these scousers come once. <clears throat> and what happened was, they've gone on this other wing. So they come on our wing one day. So we said, why, what's going on? How can you move wings? So he said, we got taxed off, off this firm, took our mobile phone and our drugs. So we're like, what? We're not, you know what I mean? And he said, like, if you can get us our phone back, we'll pay to get, get the phone back. So we said, I'm not asked about the, the parcel, the game, I'm not bothered about that, you know what I mean? This gang have come in and took, took my phone and that's what's important, you know what I mean? Because he was getting throwovers over the wall on a regular, so they needed the phone for like directional purposes. So they needed this phone back no matter what. So anyway, I've got got one of the staff to unlock the gate, got off the wing, shouldn't have been off the wing, got off the wing, banged on this door to this wing and said, get the phone back now. So this lad's come to the door and went, oh, and I said, get the phone back now. You know what I mean? It needs to come back like it's a busy phone. So uh, after a bit of discussion and that, the phone comes back, gets given back to him. So they was proper grateful, you know what I mean? And they started giving me, I got really on with them really well. And um, they was in for like some multi, multi-million pound drug parcel. Like they was building a drug empire in Liverpool. And like I say, a few years later, they got sprung from a prison van and got, got off for a few years. I think they've been caught now again. And they used to write to me and stuff, you know, when they moved prisons and stuff. Yeah, I ended up becoming really good friends with him, yeah. But what happened was he said to me, he said, that firm up there have just robbed us. Any of them you catch, give them a crack and I'll, I'll give you a quarter of weed off everyone. So they used to shout um, medics to anyone need to see the doctor to healthcare the next day. They'd shout you at like this tea time. So you could walk to the healthcare and sit there and see a doctor. So I'd be like that to lads, what wing are you off, lad? You go, F2, F2, yeah, bang, fucking little nub. You know what I mean? But I had some kid who was with me who was watching what I was doing, so it was like getting paid, you know what I mean? Because these lads were so embarrassed, like they got robbed, but like they said, 
He said, they're not going to get stabbed up for like a bit of drugs. You know what I mean? They give to him, like the lads ran in to smash him up and take the parcel. They went, no, nah, no, nah, we just give it him. You know what I mean? Because we knew they'd get it back. You know what I mean? And at the time I was on the wing with like these young lads who like turned into very, very big gangsters in the end. They got sprung from a prison van as well. They was in the news for being sprung from a prison van and they got away to like Dubai or whatever, you know what I mean? And at the time, there was young and up and coming lads, you know what I mean? Uh, I even met uh, that Mark, Mark the Iceman Fellows. Do you remember the kid who killed Paul Massey? Not long, just been in the paper. Yeah, he killed no. one of the What's kids. his story? I don't, I, well, what happened is apparently he killed that Paul Massey, one of the biggest... Got a crew to be a hitman, didn't he? Yeah, he was paid to be a hitman. Was he ex-military or something? No, he wasn't actually. He was such a quiet lad. Him, it was unbelievable when I heard that he was convicted for that crime, because he used to have a colossomy bag. You know, you won't just won't think someone with a colossomy bag would be like capable mm. of doing something so serious, would you? You just won't think it would. You You'd think it was a quiet. He was a very quiet lad and very clean. And when he come on the wing, I remember all the lads was buzzing that he'd come on, you know what I mean? And like he turned a few years later, well, many years later, turned into like he was a, a stone cold killer. They called him Matt. The Iceman, they called him because he was. It's on the paper not long ago. Yeah, it was a big story. Yeah, you won't know of it, Jen, but it was a really no. big story, yeah. So yeah, met, met him, yeah. Um, met um, one of the biggest gangsters to ever come out of Manchester. And he had a tattoo on his back, Jen, and it was of a black panther, and it went from the top of his back right to down near his bum, and he had it done in Africa. A black panther. It was just it's the sickest tattoo I've ever seen. And he's dead now. He got killed, but um, and no one was ever convicted for his murder. How did he die? Um, shot. He shot or stabbed one, and the other got killed. He went to kill someone, apparently, and got killed himself. I don't know how the story went, but, yeah, it was a very, very big story, that, yeah. But he had this pamphlet on his back, and it was just, like, incredible. But I'd knew him since we was kids, like, when we used to hang around in the city centre when we was kids. Like, there was a lot of kids there who turned into main known heads, you know what I mean, in the time, because there was a lot of gang wars, what happened in Manchester. I mean, the name Gunchester came out of Manchester mm -hmm. for a reason, you know what I mean, because it was just... Hell of a lot of guns in Manchester, you know. And like because I was addicted to crack as well, I was very close to that that them people, you know, because in Manchester back then, if you wasn't anybody, you to defend yourself, you'd have to have a gun. Do you know what I mean? Like, they have to be known as like capable of using a weapon, you know? Yes, you wouldn't get anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So I was around a lot of very dangerous people growing up, do you know? I mean, I got shot myself. Uh, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, got shot myself, you know what I'm saying? Like on a mad one. Like, uh, but I deserved that. I deserved it, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I got warned not to do something and I did it. So I deserved it, do you know what I'm saying? And like. Uh, did we cover that in part one? I think we spoke a little bit about it. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, you did. We spoke about that in part one. Did we speak about that? Yeah. We didn't speak about the police dog on you, did we? No, no we didn't, no. Um, Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Harry's. Having such a scratchy face, I'm always delighted to get a new Harry's set. There's a foaming gel, hydrating night lotion, and the razor with the weighted handle really gets the job done. The trimmer blade makes it so easy to get into those tricky places to reach. 
the shave gel offers effective lubrication and just comes off like butter. It's such a smooth shave. It shaves fast, efficiently, no discomfort, and it is so smooth at, by the end. The hydrating night lotion is light and non-greasy. Harry's is doing a zero pounds trial. Start shaving with the products, just pay for delivery. Save every time. Save on all your shaving products without sacrificing quality. You're in control. You can modify or cancel your plan from the account page. Make sure to support our podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. All you cover is £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, and have your trial set delivered to your door. That's harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. We didn't speak about the police dog on you, did we? No, we didn't, no. Um, I got... I was in an empty building in the city centre, and I'm smoking crack, so my lighter's flickering. And someone's gone past and seen the lighter, thought I'm committing a burglary. Phoned the police and the police have came and they shouted me out, but I didn't come out. You know, I should have just came out. (laughs) But the mill, the building was so big, I just thought I'm going to hide and try and get away, but no way. This dog just come. From a police dog. Yeah. So I'm hiding. I've gone right to the front of the store. The shutters was down and I've squeezed in. So I'm down at the side of the glass, you know, between the glass and the shutter. Squeeze myself in. And this area's open to me. And the dog's just come, (laughs) a big long hair downstairs, and just grabbed my knee and just dragged me out by my knee. And it crushed my knee. You should have seen it afterwards. Now, oh, she should have seen the state of I just laughed at her. Oh, should have, should have been at home had, and not been in a building where he wasn't meant to I had work. gashes this oh, they big. massive. Massive, big oh. gashes. You could see right through into his leg. Yeah, and it crushed my kneecap. This tooth had gone right into that circle below your kneecap. You know that bone? Right there, it crushed it. So my knee was just ruined. It's never got better, has it, really? Got your bail, though, didn't it? He got me bail, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. That's what I said to you. I'm buzzing. I got bail because I'd never get bail. Do you know what I mean? And they give me bail because they didn't want to sit there while I dealt with my leg getting sorted out and sewn so up and operated. Oh, silver lining. So instead of me when, sitting in the hospital, I just discharged myself and got home. Uh, when it was locked on to you, yeah. what was your strategy? Just go still, try and poke it in the eye. What I was. I was just screaming, ah, get off, get off. I was giving, ah, get off. And this dog was ripping me, it's pulling on me. But when the police officer come, he didn't take it off straight away. He just stepped back and went, stay still. And I'm like, I can't stay still. I'm fucking getting ripped apart by this dog. And this dog pulling on me like, oh. I got to the floor. It's ripping on my knee, you know, like properly locked oh. on. I thought they were trained only to bite if you're resisting. <laughs> No, if you don't, you know. No, not in your case. (laughs) Mate, oh my God, it would just rip me to shreds. What made it stop biting you? I think they get them off you in the end, don't they? They They leave them for a bit. They do, they do go overboard like it was on me for probably two minutes or something. Do you know what I mean? Probably because it it was was pulling on me as well. It was like really pulling on me as well, you know, because like it was trying to get me to wherever it wanted to go, you know. 
But it, for some reason, got turned to my knee, didn't it, Kira? That must be one man. of the most painful places, your knee. Yeah, I've got a big gash yeah, here. The on scars the now on his legs oh, from it. The scars are ugly. Like you there. can tell they're done by a tooth mark and they're actually like yeah. imprinted, like didn't like, didn't. Big rips, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Got some big rips on my leg. Absolutely horrible. You were still but hobbling grafting the next day. I was still hobbling, like doing rub thieving and all that the next day, yeah. Because I was addicted to drugs, I had no choice, did I? I mean, I was in and out of like the most craziest places possible. I mean, God, the people who I was around was like something else, you know. Some of them was out like of a movie, do you know what I mean? Like just the most danger. Like a lot of them was ex gang, ex gang members who started taking drugs and sort of dropped back a bit, do you know what I mean? And dropped themselves out and stuff, yeah. So some of them was very, very dangerous people, do you know what I mean? Um, like one of them now you see in the city centre, um, like he's gone a bit, you know, he's gone a bit mentally, but at the time he was a very, very dangerous man, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I've had a lot of things. I, I mean, a kid stabbed me in the park for not buying him crack once, just stabbed me right in my side, do you know what I mean? And like put a hole in my side, <sighs> like just for not, not sorry, not buying him a can of beer. That's <laughs> what it was. I'm going to buy crack with him, right? And he's a well, he's a well-known gang member. He still is, yeah. Still known as like a gang boy, yeah. And uh, I'm going to buy crack with him through the park. And he says to me, Marv, you're going to buy me a beer? And I said, no. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm only buying crack because I'm not an alcoholic. But he, to him, I was being like out of order not buying him a beer. And I just felt this big knife go in me. And he just stabbed me and just backed off and walked off. And like, I've looked down and I've gone, he just fucking stabbed me. And I'm like, he's gone. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's just fucking plunged me with a knife. You know what I mean? I thought, are you fucking mad? Like. You're stabbed over a beer? Yeah, he fucking put a big knife in my side over a beer, do you know what I mean? Like, I've had some things happen to me like a, I've had some things happen to me what I deserve, do you know what I mean? Like I've You've never- You've not fucking got a beer. I've, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously I've never named anyone. I've never, I've everything what's ever happened to me, I've never named anyone, do you know what I mean? I could never identify anyone. If the police ever come to me, I would say, I don't know who it is, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, because I was playing with fire, I'm going to get burned out, do you know what I mean? Talking about fire, I nearly killed myself in a fire and I'm now smoking crap once. I was smoking crack on a wind. I was smoking crack by a window, and when it got dark, I lit a candle. But I'm smoking that much crack. When you keep smoking crack cocaine that much, and you're tired, your body starts shutting down, so you start falling asleep as you're smoking the crack. Okay, even though it's a stimulant, you start falling asleep. So, God, my God, I've woke up to flames. Sorry, I'm looking at Sean's face. <laughs> yeah, I know we know. I woke up to flames, 10 foot high. The curtains was on fire. The pile of clothes on the floor next to me was burning, right? It was like a full flame fire. And I think what only woke me up was the heat because it's just round me. I'm sat at the windowsill and the curtains are just blazing. I've opened my eyes and it's, we know how fast fires work. Mm. It was seconds, it was just like, first I looked there and then this curtain just gone up, whoosh. And then, sorry, I've looked there and then this curtain's just gone, whoosh. And then I've looked down and all these clothes are just going, whoosh. It was just like, wow. 
fucking hell. <laughs> and like I just jumped back like that, just retrieved what was on the table, ran out and just the house had burnt down. The house burnt down. The house burnt down, yeah. The house burnt down. Not the first time yeah. you've done that. No. Not the first. No, it's not. But yeah, let's talk talk about that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about that today. You little arsonist. <laughs> do, you know, do you know do you know when you're when you're a kid you like love the sight of fire, don't you? Yeah. You're very I never did. You did. I did. I used to stare at my grandfather's fireplace. Yeah, it's so Majestic. cute. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Did he have a proper burning fireplace? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your auntie's got one of them. Oh, yeah, he's got one now. Yeah, the beautiful one. The log in it. I think it's yeah. a man thing with fire, like man fire. Yeah, yeah it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, but you know, God, I remember this girl. I was I was grafting with this girl this working girl and um she said to me like she said Marv I'm gonna take you to the house but like whatever you see just don't get angry just don't get angry about it right so I said Chantel what do you mean don't get angry she just said you know we'll smoke in my bedroom but like just don't put any thought into what you see so I went all right then I've gone in her house her dad and her uncle have sat downstairs I've gone upstairs. She's got a big bolt on the door, a bedroom door. So I said, what's that for, Chantel? And she said, when I crash out, fell asleep off the drugs, my uncle comes up and fingers. And I said, what? I went, are you kidding me? I went to sit and she went, you can't do anything. He's already been to prison for abusing me. So I said, so why, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here tight? She said, because my dad and him are the only family I've got. It's heartbreaking. Okay. It's heartbreaking, yeah. And then everything why she was working just all fell into place then, do you know what I mean? And she said, when they get paid, they want me to dance on that on the cushion in the in the on a thing in the living room and they give me money out the, the payment off to get off the social. They pay me. So I was like, just don't do it, you know what I mean? She said, but I just do it to keep the peace. Well, that's sad, that. So sad. Our own dad and uncle are paying to see a dan dance. Yeah. yeah. Our own dad and uncle were seeing it. And he'd been to jail. He'd been to jail, our, un our uncle, for abusing her years before. Like, done his sentence and got out. And they was living together. Do you know what I mean? And I couldn't, I couldn't handle her doing punters. I couldn't stand it in my mind. Do you know what I mean? I'd say, Chantal, let's go and do a street... Let's like get the punt around his ankles and I'll go around and take the money off him and you know what I mean? She'd be like, no, I just don't want to cause trouble. We're like punters, I'm just gonna do the business and just get the money, do you know what I mean? So one day she had this guy come and it was like this well-known guy and he was like, uh, she didn't want to do business with him. Yeah, he like was doing something to her what she didn't like. Because she came downstairs and said, Marv, I need to get him out of the house. What can I do? And I went, what can you do? I'll tell you what we do. Watch this. Where's the electric cupboard? I just found the big plug you get in the electrical and just pulled it, bang. It was nighttime. The house went into pitch darkness. He started going, what are you doing? What are you doing? He ran out of the house, dusting his boxer shorts because he thought it was like, it was a setup and it. He went into this mad psychosis because he was a bit of a madman. Mm -hmm. And he ran out of the house and that's how I got rid of him. Do you know what I mean? And um, it was a really heartbreaking to uh, 
hear a story. Do you know what I mean? Like just one story. It's like so many different facets to everyone in there. You just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So I couldn't resist it in the end. I went in the living room and I grabbed the uncle and I threw him to the floor and I put my knee to his chest. And I went, if you touch her again while I'm around you, so I'm going to fucking smash her and you better leave her alone. And he's going, Martin, get her, mate, get her, mate. That's what he's shouting. <laughs> leave me alone. And I'm saying, why are you doing it to what? You ruined the life. You know what I mean? Like she was out, you know, she would have probably knew, she would have probably threw me out herself, you know what I mean? When I come, when she come back, I said, you know what, Chantel, I've just grabbed him, but I didn't, like, I didn't hurt him or anything. And she's like, my, it's my only family. That's why. It's sad that. So sad. Yeah. yeah. Real, real hard. But then you've got the other end of it. This girl who I knew, and her dad was, her family was like very, very, very well known. Like her dad was, her uncle was a chairman of a rugby league club like on the, the outskirts of Manchester. And her family had tons of money. Her dad designed and built his own house, then got bored of it and moved to another house. So she took me up one day in the car and went, my dad built that when I was a kid, four, four five stories, just from glass right down one side from the top to the bottom. Incredible house. Got bored of it and moved to another house, like this big mansion, do you know what I mean? And I said, so why, why are you grafting? And she said, because I love drugs. I'm addicted to drugs. Do you know what I mean? I've rinsed everyone. Like, they won't give me any money anymore. I've been at it years. The only thing I've got left is to sell my body. Do you know what I'm saying? And she just ended up selling herself. But she hated men. It was weird. Like, she hated men. She'd been through a really bad time with men. And uh, she hated men, she told me but she liked me, you know what I mean? Like, is she knew my heart was pure, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't admire the girls for sex and all. Like, it wasn't my, wasn't my way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Where I like, you've got to have love there with it and compassion, passion, and yeah, it's not just, I could never understand the punter of doing business with a girl. Like, how can you just switch on to do that and then switch off, do you know what I mean? And uh, I could never wrap my head around it. And you know, it's funny, much later on in my life, I met this girl and she had, um, she said to me about, she said to me, you've ever thought about the girls, what they go through? Like porn, porn star girls. Like you was talking about something you, you're doing in the pipeline. You've Not got being a, a porn star, just putting that out. Yeah, yeah. You've got, you've got <laughs> to consider too, uh, what, People's what you, disappointments. When, when, <laughs> when a man like he's watching the porn, you don't consider what the girl is going through on film. I've seen like, some sex, so, yeah. Like, so they was, she was saying about, uh, like, the girl's got to stay in the same position for four hours. Because what you see in that five-minute video yeah, it's is, in fact, an hour of retakes. And takes and retakes, yeah. Of the and poor girl positioning just absolutely... Someone, cameras, like, cameras and taking pure time and loads of lube and oh you can God. just imagine what they go through to get a scene. We had Samantha Brown on and she was talking about... She got forced into porn. ...the tears in certain parts of the body yeah, and the... the rips and the tears and the... And how they persuade you to go further and further and further yeah. into it. Well, it's funny, you know, every working girl who I knew on the street would never do... would never work in brothels and stuff like that. Do you know why they said they wouldn't? Because on the street, they control the situation. They've got a punt of five minutes they can get rid. 
in a controlled environment, they've got to sit for an hour with a punter or I paid for two hours or something. So they're just getting like going through trauma for two hours, aren't they? Mm. On the street, they'll make that in 10 minutes, done, doing business, done and gone. Do you know what I mean? And I got it and I understood why none of them would work like that. Gives them their mean? independence, yeah. Gives them their independence, yeah, and gets them a bit of freedom, doesn't it? But like, yeah. So I was around a lot of working girls all my life. So I was always conscious of the fact that um, a lot of them were traumatised, but I was a traumatised kid as well, do you know what I mean? So, like, I could relate to it a lot. Well, Sean always said it's, you know, uh, when people have encouraged, um, endured trauma in their life, usually men go into drug dealing and women usually go into sex work. Yeah, that yeah, makes a lot of sense, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense, because, yeah. yeah. well, yeah. I mean, when I was... 13, 14, me and my mate, who was a couple of years older than me as a bouncer now in town, we were selling drugs for some girl. And that was just a normality to me from being 13, 14, was selling drugs, you know I mean? Me and Sean meeting in the Thunderdome without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, me and Sean coming across each other in the Thunderdome, like was drug taking and, but it was a happy part of drug taking, wasn't it? Then you've got the dark side of it. Do you know what I mean? Well, don't you find with all drug taking, it always starts off all happy. Mm. And always then it starts always, off happy, doesn't almost it? Almost goes to the dark side. Goes to the pot, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So there is like, um, uh, there is doorways what you can go to and you go further and further slowly, don't you? And you're getting more and more adventurous with drugs. Do you know what I mean? And you'll go, you'll try more and more things. And before you know it, you're taking cocaine and then if you're taking a lot of cocaine and then you're around people who take cocaine, inevitably when the cocaine powder runs out, someone smokes crap rock and someone will say, I've only got crap rock and you're sat in a party with all your friends and inevitably you're going to try crack. And then, because cocaine and crack cocaine are identical. I mean, we I used to live in a house where... A lot of activity was going on with a lot of punters who'd be asking to buy cocaine, and it was a crack dealer, and they'd just come, crush it on the floor in the wrap, and say it's crack cocaine. Uh, it's cocaine, because you can't tell the difference once coke, once crack cocaine has been crushed, you wouldn't know if that's crack or not because it's powder cocaine, then isn't it? Crack cocaine and cocaine are identical, aren't they? Is there any different effects to it? Because I've, no. I've never tried crack. No. no. You, so you, you have. I'll probably have, yeah. You would have definitely snorted crack with a million no, but percent. No, you always say that the, um, the hit's quicker. Well, no, I'll tell you how you can tell that it's been free-based, the powder. If you put a lighter to it and it melts, that means it's been free-based, crack cocaine. If it doesn't, if it burns black, that means it's powder cocaine. No, but Shane, what difference is the high? No, there's no difference with the no, high. But it's you not used to always say to me that it gives you the hit quicker. No, it doesn't. Quicker. It doesn't. It's the same well, Smoking thing. hits you faster than yeah. smoking is different. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And eating, it's even slower. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Just, even slower, yeah. Yeah, smoking cocaine and snorting cocaine are two different things. Well, that's things. what she was asking. But sniffing crack cocaine and sniffing cocaine are exactly the same. Mm, well, they're going to be, aren't they? Yeah. So I might, potentially could have tried crack in my opinion. million days. percent. Million percent, million percent, million percent. Because it's always seen as such a, you know, dirty drug and cocaine Seedy for drug, some yeah. reason. So the, the reason why I think you would have done it by, by without a doubt is because you can wash. Years ago when I was growing up, you had 28 grams of cocaine. And if you was making crack cocaine, you would lose cocaine. 
because it wasn't pure. So you'd get like 22 grams of crack back or whatever. Now, with an ounce of cocaine, you can mix four ounces of crack, you know, because of the additives they can put with it and stuff now. That's how weak it's gone. So without a doubt, someone has made four ounces of crack and just crushed it back into powder. They've got four ounces of powder cocaine then, haven't they? Of course. Yeah. Of course. With, the, with, with these women who trusted you down the streets, did any of them have run-ins with pimps? Well, all the time. It was always a boyfriend or someone who he, a punter who they'd done business with and spent all his money over the period of days and he becomes a boyfriend. Oh. And the parts up down the road going, where is she, where is she, where is she? And she's getting money and just going, fucking leave him there, I'm going to buy drugs, you know what I mean? And before you know it, he's coming out and fighting with them and you owe me money and all the time. His pimps. Did you have to intervene in anything? All the time, Sean. Got any crazy stories of that? Well, yeah. Sure, yeah. I've got a guy who (laughs) smacked my arm up with a claw hammer because of it, because I was arguing with him. Set the stage. How did that come about? Uh, (coughs) What had happened was his girlfriend, he grabbed her by the back of her head and dragged her to the floor. Because I was was wondering what, what happened. I've mentioned it before, but I forgot the story. So I thought about it and I remembered he'd grabbed his girlfriend to the floor and he was smacking her, like telling her, not punching her, but he was smacking her, like over an argument or something. And I got involved and said, leave her alone. He pulled an hammer out and started whacking me with an hammer. Put a claw on my right through my right through my arm. I had a big, massive, two big scars on my arm. Um, and I took the hammer off him in the end and I'm defending myself. And the police come and I get arrested for <laughs> favour of provocation of violence. A possession of an offensive weapon. <laughs> I was like, listen, I was trying to explain to him. I was like, I didn't do now. He attacked me first, you know what I mean? And the police were like, nah, what we've seen is what we what we get. Do you know what I mean? It was like, they're not having none of That's it. That's terrible, even though mm. we were certain. Yeah, it. I mean, there's a few times when it like, have these guys in cars looking for girls and I know he's like, they're owing money or like he's trying to bully him, do you know what I mean? And stuff. And I've got to say, walk over and say, mate, leave him alone. Do you know what I mean? Like, get away from him, leave him alone. You're just, like, causing him pure shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, are you stopping him and you're scaring him? And do you know what I'm saying? Like, if, you've, if you're if you smoking crap with a prostitute and he's, you've spent your money, your money's gone, don't sit on the beat expecting him to, like, feed you on addiction. They're going to go the back. They're the worst kind of man. Mm. Yeah. Just... Have you known of any girls go missing? Or murdered? Well, yeah, a lot of, there was a few murders what went on in that beat when I was around there. There was a few who got killed and a few people got convicted for it as well. I mean, I was uh, questioned once on a murder. There was a headless body found at the back of the railway station. Um, a man in a suit with a, no head, okay? And the police come to me about it and I asked him what had gone on and he said, well, your name keeps coming up like as being round on the street. Yeah, at the time I was all over the street. And um, you said, your name keeps coming up. So I was like, mate, I ain't done this, you know what I mean? It's nothing to do with me. And then I go to prison, I get released, or I get released from prison and the guy's head was found in the same area I got released from. So the body was in Manchester, the head was found in Stafford to the body. And I just got released from Stafford. So this is where they found this connection. This is what they were questioning me about. It was like... Are you sure someone could, like trying to set you up or something? Yeah, that's what I mean. It was like... Honestly, that's what happened. So uh, 
I had to like, nah, it's not me, mate. Do you know what I mean? I ain't got nothing to do with this one. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, whoa, it was a heavy, heavy shit. Yeah, I think in the end, someone was convicted for it. It was, it had, it happened in London, the murder. The person had driven up to Manchester, discarded the head on the way up and then left the body at the back of Piccadilly Railway Station. Very strange. Yeah. <laughs> How mad's that? The crazy one, innit? Oh. So with the girls who got murdered then, was well, that, I like got, I got, by, was I that got, by men that they knew or was that like... Well, I got, I got questioned about a murder. <laughs> um, it was a tragic tale as well. And my name come up in this because at the time I was in that area. And some poor girl had been killed in her house and the pet animal dog, what she had, had been, I don't even want to say because if they ever watched oh. this... You know what I mean? Like the dog had kept stayed alive because of her. Her, yeah. Her. So it been two weeks as well. So it was in the house for two weeks with the girl. And it, it, it yeah, actually, it, you know what I mean? It did what you think, what you're dreading. That was, it was true, yeah. And someone got convinced. that's not in that. dog's nature to naturally do that. Horrible, no. it's horrible, isn't it? So, feel so sorry for that. Then someone was convicted for that as well. You know what I mean? Someone was tried and convicted for it, yeah. I think they stabbed her to death in the house or something, but it was a terrible tale, do you know what I mean? Uh, talking about deaths, though, you know, suicide's a hard thing to handle when someone close to you commits suicide, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and a lot of people have uh, can relate to suicide as well. I mean, when I was 16, a mate of mine killed himself and it was just, it affected me, like, beyond measure. I never expected me. I never expected expected it to affect me the way it did. Do you know what I mean? It was so sudden, though. Like, he was on drugs, and he was a shoplifter, but he was a top thief. Top thief, as in, you know, it's not a nice thing, but he was a top shoplifter, one of the good ones. And he was that good. He was taking stereos with the speakers out of, like, these stores in the city centre. He was a really good... I had a friend um, who used to go to Curry's and walk out with a TV. That's what I'm telling you. Well, I used to do the same thing. <laughs> that's right. I used He's to just brazen as fuck. We'd come home with a TV and I'd be sat with his missus. He'd be like, yeah, I just got this from Curry's. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I used to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. I used to go to... <laughs> I used to go to a superstore. I'm not saying which one it is. So they'd have all the TVs there for sale. And you could line up there to pawn your TV and sell your stuff. I know the one. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you do that? Oh, Take the TV from the sale. I'd, let her just tell her to stand in the queue. And go over. I want to get her involved. So I'd go you, over. He'd stand in that queue. I'd make her stand in the queue and not get involved. I'd go over, get the TV. Push all the other TVs over so you couldn't tell it was a TV missing. <laughs> Stand in the queue, pull all the stickers off it and sell it to <laughs> the counter. <laughs> We're not even marking out the shop. What We're not even going out the shop. <laughs> you was that that of an ages, weren't you? What would yeah. be the charge on that? I know. It's, it's just their negligence. Yeah, that's you know? it. Yeah, I'm not thieving, are well, no, you're not to get out of the shop, yeah. <laughs> That's what she's saying, yeah. What a hustle. Yeah, it was a right hustle, yeah. What was I saying before that, though? Right. What was it talking uh, So your about? friend was a top thief. We, we were on suicide. <coughs> yeah, I knew it was something like that. Yeah, my God. When he killed himself, God. What happened was, he's 
girlfriend had just had a baby. So he got given the ultimatum, like, get off the drugs or, like, you know what I mean? And he went, he went away to get clean. And we all thought he was going to come home. Just out the blue, just killed himself. He's one of his, one of his family went to work, came home. He was dead. Just like that, bang. So as quick as I told you that story, that's how suddenly it hit me. Like never, you never expect that, do you? Mm. She just got out to work, come back, bang. He's there, give up, give up. Got a daughter, girlfriend, partner. There's no rhyme and reason to it, is there? You can't wrap your head around it, can you? So it was tragic, absolutely tragic. And it affected me some no end. I never expected me to rip my head apart like it did. Do you know what I mean? It was a terrible, terrible tale. Uh, it was a terrible situation. Terrible. Oh, God. And it stuck with me that for a long time. Will do. You know, that just the whole story just stuck with me. It was just so heartbreaking. You know what I mean? And he had an older brother as well. And like, I didn't know his older brother. I never knew him. And I just thought, wow, you've got brothers and family and nice family, come from a really good family and you just give up like that. I got angry at first, angry, frustrated, upset. Cause you're never gonna see him again, are you? And that's what's so heartbreaking. And I suppose it's the same when someone dies in a car crash or something, isn't it? I mean, I've known that to happen, like, people close to me, a woman that they're there, next minute they've been killed, but there's nothing what can do with suicide. It's the worst thing in the world. It's just heartbreaking. It hits you right way. You never expect it to, do you? You almost take on their sadness, I, I find, yeah. to think what their head must have been to yeah, do that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you try and figure it out, don't you, what was going on, like, and... The things I've been through, you know, like I've always thought, wow, some people had to give up. I've always thought that some people wouldn't have never been able to live a life what I, how I led on my life. Do you know what I mean? Carrying these things, big, heavy secrets around with you and using drugs and comfort eating to deal with them. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people will be able to relate to that of going through. Because we always say now we spill our secrets so they don't hold no power over us. You know, we allow the poison to dissipate. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise it eats you up inside. Otherwise it eats you up inside. It rips you apart and eats you up. Do you know what I mean? And like we have, we're in discussions with people, like with people like message us and stuff and we try and help them and like try and digest things and all, but. Do you get a lot of messages off your YouTube videos? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we got a lot of people saying to us and speaking to us privately, you know what I mean? And we're like, we welcome it all, but we just try and help as best like we can, do you know what I mean? Like, we'll always give people time, won't we, if we can? Yeah. Oh, baby. Oh, babies. Baby's awake. Yeah, we've had to bring the baby today. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah, little baby Talon's here, so he's just shouting his mum. <laughs> Is this we, recording? We, spoke, yeah, we both spoke about that we, yeah. that we conceived him. We <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you got some more prison stories, Marvin? Moving on. Just a few, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in my time, I've been a, a weapons maker, a drug seller, 
um, debt recovery agent. In prison? Yeah. A um, weapons maker? Weapons maker, yeah. Shank. Shanking, making sticks. Um, What's the variations of weapons that you covered? Um, well, we used to make polkas out of toilet brushes. So you get these plastic toilet brushes and you, and you sell. To make a very quick weapon, you just light it around the middle and then you pull it and it just makes a, a natural spike. You know, the plastic as you pull it. Ah. Yeah. You get that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just makes a natural spike. So you just sharpen it quickly and then you've got a knife and you've got a plunger. So people would approach you to... Make knives, yeah. Say, make us a shiv or, and I'd make a knife or I'd make a sharp one, piece of metal, and then I'd just get it on the windowsill or on the brickwork and just sharpen it down and stuff. Where'd you get the metal from? You just find bits of metal. You can pull little bits of metal off here and there. Do you know what I mean? You come across it or someone would take a little bit out of a workshop and stuff. But it got to the point where there was knives coming over the walls. They needed real knives to chop weed up. So when I was in prison, there was people getting carrier bags of cannabis over the walls. And when I say carrier bags, Jen, I mean carrier bags. Like with kilos in and two kilos and mobile phones and parcels. And they was guaranteed to come over. You know, they had the guy on the phone on the top landing, watching the guys come over the field and throw it straight over into the yard. It would all be packaged so it could be broken down really quickly. We'd have a few dummy packages out on the yard. So if the screws come out, they'd... We'd throw a dummy one again and they'd think that was it and they'd all be chasing that and all the real ones would be getting put on the wings, you know what I mean, in the <laughs> windows. So, yeah, that was like, it was like the wild west of prison. It was crazy. <laughs> there was parcels everywhere. I mean, and there was bent screws as well bringing it in. I mean. Lee Davies? Lee Davis, yeah. Lee was one of them, yeah. Well, I, he was I, one of them. Yeah, he was a bent screw, wasn't he? Oh, no, but, yeah. the, but that you interacted with? Oh, no, I never interacted okay. with him. No, okay. no, he was in a different prison to me. Gotcha. But I can see how Lee Davies fell into it. Very easy. Someone pressuring him and yeah. saying, do you know what I mean? Like, didn't sort he, of they said, he, they said uh, my dad's sick and I need to get on the phone to my dad. That yeah. was how it started. So how it started, yeah. yeah. So I remember getting into a screw by um, dropping off steroids. That's how it started. You know, the lads was very, very clever how they got into him. They just started saying to him, you're skinny, you. And you could tell he was a gym head. Saying, you're losing muscle on your back, you. You're not training right. You need steads. And the guy's like, do you think so? Do you think so? I'm like, yeah, you need steads, man. You want to look how big I am off the steads. And the, the screw ended up like, can you get me some? And that was it then. Bang. You've got him, haven't you? You've got him. Mm. You've got him because he'd get sacked if he found out that you he was meeting your mates after work to drop parts, steroids off. They ended up having him that way, do you know what I mean? And uh, he'd, just, he'd just bring a parcel in and just throw it on the bed and just storm off, do you know what I'm saying? And get bored in the end and then they just vanish. Like they must quit or something. I've had it, I've known of a good few times like bent screws have quit. You know, just one day they're in, coming in, bringing the parcels and next they're just gone, do you know what I mean? So if they don't get caught off the police and I think if they get caught in-house, they keep it in-house. Like you don't hear it on the news or anything like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I think all the time you learn about the real stories is when they've actually had a police operation outside the prison and it's police officers searching the prison officers. You know what? They've had information. 
What, what about female fun. staff members? Oh my God. Well, I can talk about one in strange ways who fell in love with one of the lads. Yeah. Met him in an hotel outside. Was doing a little thing with him and he was a drug addict. He ended up robbing a mobile phone and a purse from the hotel. So she fell in love with him while he was in prison. Yeah. And then he got released. Got released. And, and they rendezvoused at a hotel. They rendezvousing at a hotel. He got bored after a bit and robbed a phone, robbed a purse and got off and went smoking drugs. And were they interactive? And, when... and when he came back to prison, she found out and she went to his cell and gave him a piece of her mind. Said to him, you fucking dirty scumbag, how dare you steal off me? Bloody, bloody, blah, bloody, bloody, blah, bloody, blah, 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 blah. Just raw dog said it at his door and slammed the hatch on his door and stormed off. Was she able to give him a rough ride because of her position? Well, well, she did really because a lot of the lads, a lot of the screws knew what he did. You know, a few of the main ones like the POs and stuff had knew what, what he did. So he wasn't very happy with him at all. Do you know what I mean? A lot of cell searches. But apparently, um, I know now that she's now with a woman officer. The same prison officer is now having an affair, having a, in a relationship even with, and has been for a couple of years, with another prison officer who was on the wing who used to just give me the most unbelievable squeezes. Like, I'd have a, I'd have a wage, something to do on the work route, like somebody who's on the way to work who owed someone money on, on my wing, for example. So this day, this guy who owes money, I've got to catch him. And I have to go back onto his wing with the work route. And the work route gets locked down. So the prison is completely locked down. But I end up getting locked on his wing. And locked on his wing. And um, I have to bang on the door. And Miss, Miss, this officer came. And Simon said, what are you doing on here? I said, I need to get off the wing. I need to get onto the other wing. And she unlocked the gate and get me onto the other wing. And going, go quick and run off. You know what I mean? So it was like, wow, this, these screws, like a proper bent to the cord. You know what I mean? And that's the one who's having a relationship with the other one now. <laughs> yeah. So them times it was just, the, the amount of drugs what was coming in was just crazy. I mean, I was in on the wing and a gang of armed robbers from Ancoats have come on the wing. And a couple of them was on the street. So they had ways, I'm not saying how, cause I don't want to divulge how they was getting the, the drugs in, but they had a way and they was getting multiple, multiple ounces of heroin in. And they were selling a quarter of heroin for 500 quid or uh, an eight for free, an eight for free, a quarter of anything for 600 quid. What's the street value on that? 250 or something, 300. So he was doubling it. Thought he was doing more than that. He was doing an eight for 200, a quarter for four. No. I forgot now how he was doing it. But he was getting multiple ounces of heroin in. And we were selling an eight for 500 quid. It was an eight for 500 quid. So a quarter was a thousand, a quarter was a thousand pound because you could make 15 wraps off a gram. 15. You can make off 
one one gram of heroin, six fifty pound things, up to six fifty pound things, wraps, street wraps. So it's very, very expensive in prison. I mean, how do the the guys who are skint afford drugs in there? Well, they get the family to send money to or drop money off or do bank transfer, you know. So if you're skint but your family have got money, they'll just say, here's a number, phone this number, get your bird to meet my bird and drop the money off. Do you know what I mean? And quite often you hear people on the phone making up all kinds of stories. All kinds of stories, yeah. So it was. let me go back to the guys from Ancoats. It was an eight for 500 quid they were selling. Yeah, it was an eight, three and a half grams for 500 quid. Or was it? I think I've just got it wrong. But let me just say anyway, I know for a fact he was getting multiple ounces of heroin in and he was selling it all over the wing, from one end of the wing to the other. Like every jail, uh, every wing in the prison was buying it off him. Do you know what I mean? I think it was an eight for 500 quid, if I can remember correctly. And one of them, but I just grew with a flask. I screw had been bullying him on the wing and he's opened his door, put a flask in his face and beat him all over the wing with a flask. One of them um, took no shit. Not me and these lads took no shit. And we was, like when he was coming back from the gym, I was making him the power drinks and, you know, shaking these energy drinks for him, you know, cause he was from my estate. So I was keeping him sweet. So we ended up like, uh, they ended up, doing a lot, a lot of stuff. But what I can say is I've been to prison and sold drugs to people and sold 50 wraps in 10 minutes, 50 10 pound things. So they give either one a top up number for the mobile phone. <clears throat> Remember when it used to be top ups for your mobile phone, you'd have that big long number you used to put on your phone. Oh, that was a bull lake. That was a bull lake, wasn't it? <laughs> so I used to go and stand at a window selling the, the bits and there'd be people coming with numbers on it you know I'd have to write on the back who's it from and a few kids would give me dodgy numbers you know because they're not desperate for the, the bit they'd give you the dodgy number you know what I mean? <laughs> and like obviously like you'd be trying to sort it out but I know a guy who got killed on the wing for that all the £10 canteen got his head smashed in the door pops in the skull I think I spoke about it last time but very very serious thing over a £10 canteen. I think the guy dropped and he slammed his door and he crushed his head in the door. He said in the last one, yeah. Yeah, just heavy, over the tenner, over the £10 canteen. But, you know, a lot of things in prison, it's the principle of it, isn't it? Like, if you do something wrong to someone who's a very well-known person, like, he wants to rip me red off, do you know what I mean? I mean, I was away with a kid. He was a hothead. His dad's a well-known gangster and he was a hothead. And he's selling drugs on the wing. And there was a lad on the other side, like there's a, in, in strange ways, the big long wings are cut in half. So those big long wings you see, so there's two sides. And on the outer was this guy. He was trying to bully this kid, but he didn't realize that this kid's dad was this major cheater mill boy. Yeah, so uh, that caused a lot of problems for him, you know what I mean? Like a firm, we just went to him and went, mate, you, you don't know who you're messing with, but this kid who he was like looking out for was just a hothead, you know, always causing arguments, always fighting with people and stuff, do you know what I mean? I think he went to church one day and I think someone wanted to, uh, 
I think someone tried to, wanted to rob him or something and like it caused this big, massive argument, you know? And um, so like, you know, you've got to watch your steps, what you're doing, what you're taking. Every step could be a very dangerous move, you know what I mean? I mean, I come up on one stop on a wing once. I've had an argument with some guy and all of a sudden I'm getting swarmed off these guys all coming from different angles and I can't cover my back enough. I've had to go in a cell and slam the door, lock the door, because I couldn't deal with it, do you know what I mean? Just had an argument with some lad, and because I wasn't recognised on the wing, and this lad had been on the wing a few weeks, I'm, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like the, the one on my own. You know, I'm the stranger, so they wanted to eat me alive, do you know what I mean? Like, all these lads, like, yeah, they just uh, arguing with blah, blah. It was just, like, madness. But, like... But was there any repercussions after that, after you walked in and slammed your door? Yeah, there was a few, yeah. Like, I ended up catching some kid because I ended up carrying it on for a little bit. Ended up catching some kid and splitting his eye open over it. Do you know what I mean? Um, because, like, he was one of them who was, like, at my door, you know, trying to have it, have it with me and stuff. And I ended up catching him on his own. But, you know, it's funny. I bumped into some kid the other day where it, would, it did a hit for it. It was on the wrong person. Like it was, he put me onto the wrong person. So this kid got a fat lip and the the guy come back to me after it was done and went, I'm so sorry, it was the wrong person. Do you know what I mean? I had to go and pay this kid, let sort him out with some bits to like, you know, cause I felt terrible. And I seen him the other day in town. He's like, man, remember you did that work for me and it was the wrong guy. I was just slapping, was like, you're fucking daft. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't even funny. It was like madness. You can maybe smack some guy. I could have really hurt him. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, like uh, the drug situation in prisons has just gone out of control. I mean, I was in when the spice hit and when the spice hit prisons, prisons would change forever. I'll never be the same again. It turned into, you'd get paid 100 quid to do something for someone to you get paid a tenner. You know what I mean? It's like there's no money in any, anything now. Like, things would have been done for dirt cheap. If people was being slashed for 50, 50 quid and three bits, 30 pounds, you know what I mean? There was proper real slashings going on. And, like, it's a spice. It just made everything different. It was crazy. Like, this new synthetic drug. I remember seeing a boy on the floor and he thought he was Spider-Man. And he's trying to crawl on the floor. But um, the... No other drug does that to you. No other drugs send you that way. So now I know, I believe, and I know that um, heroin and that is more of a rare commodity now in prison. At one point it was everywhere. Heroin was flooded with prisons, but now it's 10%, heroin 90% spice. Four. You know what I mean? Like the spices took over and even the value of it is worth a fortune because one piece of paper you're making a couple of hundred quid off that one sheet of paper. Do you know what I mean? And I was I was listening to a podcast the other day saying that um, in every prison he went to, spice was readily available. This is just recently, you know what I mean? Like other drugs might not have been available, but spice was always available. Do you know what I mean? And um, I had a lot of problems with the spice, what we'll talk about in our next one, Sean. Um, we've got a really exciting one next one when we talk about the spice because uh, a lot of things happened on the spice and I'm responsible for, I wouldn't say killing people, but I'd say if it wasn't me, it would have been someone else who'd uh, 
got him to try spice. But at the time, the only explanation I've got is it was legal. Mm. It wasn't an illegal drug. It wasn't a drug at the time. The it's government, like MCAT. MCAT started out legal. Yeah, you can buy it legal. Yeah, MCAT started out exactly the same, yeah. And I could go into a shop and, and just choose whichever drug I wanted. I'd give you different eyes. Some of them was a synthetic LSD. Some of them was a, a synthetic uh cocaine some of us a synthetic amphetamine and you just ask me on the counter which one was which and he just tell you and it was perfectly legal do you know what i mean and i like literally was going up to people and saying try it and then they'd be gone the next year like a street person and be gone and be dead and i went into this office this is how i know where they all are there's an office near Strangeways and it's a porter cabin. And when you walk in, they've got a death wall. So they've got the people's, the names and the photographs of people who've died on the street or just come out of prison. Or on the, and I looked on this wall and my head fell off, I swear. I, my head fell off. I just thought, I remember him, I did. I know him, I knew him, I knew him, I knew him, I knew him. I knew him, I knew him. And I just looked all the way across this wall and thought, wow, how many deaths am I, do I feel responsible for? And this is what why I'm talking now and opening up to the world because I want people to know, like, the dangers of drugs and how common it is now to be involved in drugs and how easy it is to fall off and fall into that life of drugs because it's not a good life and it, you're never, ever going to be happy taking drugs. I mean, you'll use it as an escape, but it doesn't escape it, it just puts it to the back of your mind. Let's be real. I mean, if you try and use a, a substance to try and get rid of something, it doesn't get rid of it. No. It'll either make you think about it more, it'll affect you even more, you won't deal with the problem, you'll just prolong it, do you know what I mean? And it's very, very easy to be doing that with drugs, you know, it's it's so hard. I mean, I wish, I wish they'd look at people like me and take notice and try and find some way to gain a grip on it again. Because it shouldn't be in criminal land, should it? Let's be right, you know what I mean? Like everyone like, wants to earn money off it, but it shouldn't be in a 15-year-old selling drugs to you, should it? Mm. It shouldn't be down to them. It should be a controlled environment. Um, but you know what drug it is? It's not been cut with any agent. I mean, a lot of them, they cut them with these horrible powders what can just eat your insides to bits but to fat it out you know what i mean like these these places are not sophisticated who who distribute the drugs they're not sophisticated countries are they every country are like not very good they haven't got good chemicals if they're going to bash out a drug or try and sell a drug they're putting whatever they can in it to fill it up fill it out aren't they that's my fear do you know what i mean so like i don't understand why all these drug producing countries are not the same level as us, like as a proper country with licensing laws with the drugs, what they produce. And like you see in Afghanistan of this world producing tons of heroin every year. It's coming to the West. It's coming to our kids, our families, our uncles, our aunts, you know, and there's no, there's no one controlling it. There's no one, uh, all you do is if you're an addict, they're just like sweeping you off the floor, aren't they? They're not helping you while you're stood up and having the problem and 
you know, if you're, if you was buying off a doctor who could look at you every week and say, look, you're going downhill, your weight's lost, you've lost 20 pounds, I think you should stop it. That's how drugs should be. It should be like gambling, but controlled. So if you want to spend £1,000 of your money on a fruit machine, that's all well and good. But if you want to take drugs, you're not allowed to. You've got to buy it off a street person or somebody who's got no care about bashing it, about adding stuff to it, even what it is. You know, the amount of names what they've got for cannabis now is just unreal. Mm. You know, they're trying to sell it, like, childrenize it, like, make it, like, more... um, Kids want it more, so they do these funny names. Trendy. Trendy names to make mm. the kids want it now, you know, so it's, it's a very dangerous precipice we're on. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of kids go to prison for multiple years for a drug parcel, and all that's happened is there was the cleverest kid on the estate and made a few more quid than anyone else and went shot up in the game, you know what I mean? Smart did what it was right, business model, used the business model. Before you know it, they're a multi-kilo multi drug dealer. But what happens to them as soon as they get caught, they're getting 15, 20 years. Why don't they like, channel that uh, energy into doing something more productive? I'm sure they would if they knew. But if the government had a grip on it, they wouldn't be able to get them 20-year sentences, would they? Because it wouldn't be there for it, it wouldn't be an option. What kind of problems did you see over drug debts in prison? Oh, my God, Sean. Drug debt problems are just... <sighs> drug debt problems are ten a penny. People are going off the wings every day. I mean, I had people putting my name in on a regular basis, saying, uh, oh, he, I, I owe him money, he's going to smash me head in if... So I had a prison office. I had a senior officer come to my cell one dinner time. And he said, come here, you, I want you. And he took me into his office and this is his chair and there's the chair where I should sit. And he went, I went to sit there. And he went, no, 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 sit in my chair. I sat in his chair and he went, I believe you're running my wing at the moment. I'm hearing your name that much. He sat me on his chair in his office and said, I believe you're running my wing at the moment. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not. And he went, get him sit round there and then give me this warning, like, you better stop doing this and I'm hearing your name everywhere because you're bouncing from one end of the bleeding prison to the other. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I ended up getting barred from one prison in the end because I was playing up that much. You know, a uh, very well-known prison just won't have me again, said do not return. I put a big do not return on my prison file. Wow. So my prison file's about this big. Because I was born in prison, then I went to prison when I was 20 and I I went in and out of prison for 17 years and it was like my second home. So I was just getting a sentence, going in, being around all these people, making links with people, getting out, moving on to a new estate. So for example, I got out of prison one day and I moved on to a new estate where my mate was living. This lad gave me two gram of cocaine powder in a paper wrap. But my head's still in prison mode. I cheat it. I'd just come out of prison that day. So I've got this wrap of cocaine. I put it between my bum cheeks. <laughs> They've took me to the pub. I don't don't drink. So I'm getting all these spirits put in front of me. Psh, psh, psh. <laughs> and I'm drinking, obviously. The next thing I remember is I woke up outside this pub soaking wet 
right? Five o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, what the fuck happened to me? Why am I outside this pub? So I phoned my mate and, and he starts laughing. He's laughing his head off. He said, get a taxi. I'm going to send a taxi to you now. Sent me a taxi. I go back to his house. I'll tell you what I did to the same lad. You're wrong what I did, but I'll tell you now. Gone back to his house and he said, Marv, you got out. You went in the pub. You started drinking spirits. You started arguing with everyone at first, trying to fight everyone. You got, we had to carry you out the pub. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get in a car. You started booting all the car doors as we were trying to get you in a taxi. We left you outside, right? So I'm like, oh, thanks a fucking lot. Yeah, but you said, nah, mate, you, you behaved too mad. We had to leave it outside. So I went to use the bathroom, wash up and all that lot. And I remembered this parcel between my bum cheeks. I've opened it. It was gone. It dissolved. What? Yeah, it was gone. Like this, it was just like a few bits of like sticky substance in the paper. <laughs> it had gone. I just evaporated. I was like so good. It's like I just lost two grand of coat. You know, I was a dancing crack at the time. Wow. But like the same kid, uh, I'm staying in his house. I mean, this is what the low, the low shit you would do as an addict. Like I got into my head that. If I take the PlayStation to my mate's house around the corner who sells crack, I can leave the PlayStation with my mate just for an hour, just till I get go down and go and collect this money what I was owed, all right? So me thinking I'm a smart ass, unplug the, the PlayStation, take it to my mate's house. So I say to him, look, it's blah, blah's PlayStation, but I'm just, leave, just leaving it here for an hour while I go down and pick this money up because he wouldn't give me anything on tick. He wanted something to hold. My mates come home early from football and seen the PlayStation gone. And just come out of the house, got a weights bar. So you can see there's a scar right here. Yeah. And you can see this guy there. Yeah. The big guy there. I'm in, sat in a car, just about to turn the left to go into this avenue to go and get the money. And he's at the avenue because he knows it's where I'm buying crap from and he's got a weights bar like that. And he just blows it right through the window and starts smashing it into my face. What? Bang, once, rips a big scar up into my face here, yeah. Second one straight here, yeah. So then he's pulled me out the car and he's whacking me with his bar. And I'm going, I fucking was only going to put it down for an hour. <laughs> I got to beat him with his fucking weights bar, yeah. Did he get his PlayStation back? Of course he got it back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got it back. But yeah, just like the shit, what you do, you know what I mean? Like I was, my, my mental sense was, oh, I'm only taking it for an hour. You know, while he's at football, an hour and a half football match, he ended up coming off at half time through something and coming home and seeing the PlayStation gone. Oh man, I got a right beating for that. But yeah, I've had a good few beatings on my time, Jen, through the drugs, you know? Mm. I mean, I got a... Uh, I've, I've had my head beat that much. Like uh, now, I've I've got a, a bit of a brain injury. What I've had, and I've had it for a few years now. And how it come <coughs> how it come across was, I was um, living near Manchester City Stadium, near where all the cars. So I see an opening. Let's just say that I see an opening to take a car park. So I take this car park. So 
me and Kira stood there getting cars onto this car park. And then a few weeks later, some Max men come to Kira's house and start hitting me with a, a medieval ball and chain. One of them's got a medieval ball and chain. Holy shit. Yeah. And the other one's got this bar and a hammer. So I'm getting this wax over my head of this ball and chain. And it hits my occipital lobe. Here. This, you've got a soft spot down at the back of your mm. head here, yeah. Um, so it hits my occipital lobe. And it immediately sends me high as a kite. I can't explain it. So this it just must send your head west. So I'm, I, I'm immediately, every breath I feel like I'm running out of oxygen. Every breath I can feel going up the back of my neck. Every breath I was hitting in my brain. Yeah. And I keep blacking out. So straight away, Kara phones the police straight away. So the police come as soon as they see the state of me, they just go, get in this now and just drive me up themselves. Yeah, drop me off outside A&E. Me and Kira drop us off outside A&E. Say, mate, you need to get that looked at. Because like they've said, what happened to me? I said, I don't know. And I kept that story. I said, I don't know. I just felt these blows on me. I can't identify who's done it. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't know what had gone on. I just know that I've been whacked, getting smashed in my head and I'm in my boxer shorts. So I'm trying to defend myself. Kira's trying to get hold of the weapons and the weapons are coming over. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just thinking it's through this car park situation, yeah? So, like, I get dropped off at the A&E. So I go into A&E and they see my brain and they take a scan of my brain and they say to me, the injury's one thing but we found something on your brain, a shadow, they said, in in your brain, yeah. And then the fellow who took the test went behind the counter, this counter where there was five other members of staff. So he did his little thing and then went, and I said to these members of staff, I went, be straight with me. Tell me what's going on. And they went, we suspect you've got a brain tumour. It was like, what? Are you fucking out of this world kidding me? A brain tumour. So I go away and I start getting these headaches in my brain, like the sickest pain you could imagine where I was on the floor like screaming. Yeah, it was just like my brain was just, because obviously I've been injured. So I'm just screaming, screaming, screaming. And the ambulances come take me, they put me on an end of life ward, yeah? So I'm on an end of life ward for nine days and the police come and they say to me, you're going to say you did it? Like, you know, I'll take, you did it? Like, you're going to say, tell us. And I went, I don't know. I don't know who did it. And Kira's like to me, you're going to die without even telling them like you did it. And it's the way of the game. I've been a criminal all my life. You don't tell, you don't tell. It's not part of the game. You can't start telling on people. I've had dogs on me. I've been shot, stabbed. I've had my eye, my tongue. My tongue's nearly hanging out. I've got a scar right across my tongue. You know, I got caught pickpocketing. I was with a girl and we went pickpocketing in Blackpool. And I fell asleep because I'd been up on crack for days. And she's doing a thing. And some guy pushed me like that and went, are oh, you? Get out. And I just jumped on and went, are you talking to me? And he's just banged me, bang, bang, bang. 
So I'm having a fight with this guy and I'm pretty big at the time. So I'm proper keep on my own with him. I had a proper fist fight with him. So I've ended up outside the club because a few other bouncers have grabbed me and dragged me out. So I've got no jacket. So I'm running at the doors, volleying it, going, give us my jacket, give us my jacket. And this is the Manchester pub in Blackpool. Give us my jacket, give me my jacket. And this bouncer stood there and he's looking. I never forget him, seeing him. And he's looked through like that and just pushed the doors open and just give me this uppercut to my face, bang, right under my jaw. Oh. I had my tongue out because I'm fighting like, <laughs> mm. uh, I got this big rip in my tongue and it bled for three weeks solid. It oh. wouldn't stop bleeding. Oh. It wouldn't stop bleeding. Sean, check it out. Come here, just look. Go on. Oh! See <laughs> yeah. party trick. So yeah, my tongue was hanging off, Sean. Oh. <laughs> my tongue was literally hanging off. So I couldn't lie back to sleep because the blood was filling up my mouth and I was choking. So I was waking up, full mouthful of blood spitting it out, like mouthfuls of blood every time I fell asleep. And it just bled for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Did you have to go to the hospital right away? They couldn't do... I don't know if I went to the hospital, I don't think, to be honest with you. I don't, they couldn't do anything with it? I don't think I went to the hospital. Have you ever bit your tongue? No. no. I don't think I ever went to the hospital, Sean. I was too busy for hospitals, <laughs> me, mate. It was very rare I went to hospitals. I mean, when I got hospital, when I got shot, I discharged myself the next day. See, I was on crutches, you know what I mean? But yeah, that rip oh. in my mouth is just like something else, isn't it? You're gargling it in the night. Oh. I had to lie on my belly because the blood was just filling up pillows and things. So what are you were going to run out of blood? Yeah, that's what I was fearing, yeah. It was getting dizzy. Yeah, it was so a weird one. would it stop one. bleeding at any point? Or was it, it would, If I pull, rolled my tongue back, like you push your tongue back, yeah, like that, then it would stop. How could you then, eat? I couldn't, mate. I couldn't Straw. eat. I was just distrawing it and just I couldn't chew. My tongue was swollen. It was tore. You'd right, hate that because you eat loads. <laughs> 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 I'd be on a diet. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't eat for weeks on end. But yeah, I wasn't really bothered because I was taking drugs. Fuck but. it up. So this brain thing then, you, you was on yeah, the so, so yeah, they tell me I've got... Um, they tell me I've got a frontal lobe brain tumour. Right, but they don't. They're not sure if it's benign or benign, not at the yeah, time. And they put you on the end of life. Yeah, they put me on an end of life ward because they think I'm dying. So all they're doing is pumping me with morphine. All right, and I'm getting these excruciating headaches. Ah, I'm getting so I do this end of life nine days. People visiting you. Yeah, my carer was up and all that. Yeah, it was. A, I'm a few friends was visiting. What me. year was this? 2016. So not long ago at all. Not long ago at all. Did you think you were going? Yeah, I thought I was dead. Yeah, I thought I was dying, mate. 100%. I thought the brain tumour was just going to go, ding, 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 bang, out, gone. How did so, that change your mental focus? Sent my head west, mate. It was very, very difficult. Very difficult. Were you, you like think, saying goodbye? I'd just been told my mum was dead. And then I get diagnosed with a brain tumour. <sighs> we're and saying goodbye to everyone. Mentally, I was saying bye to the mother world, yeah. Were you putting up a front with Kira and... With everyone, yeah. So I was like, fine, fine. I was just in another world. Every breath I took sent my head west. Oh. I was sat in a world on my own, like, for three years. I couldn't, like, my brain wouldn't register. So I was studying all this, like, uh, looking at all these images and visuals and 
afterlife pictures and whatnot and everything like that. And I just started sticking them on my Instagram in the end. So I've got like four or 5,000 pictures of it on Instagram going back from like the time when my injury was just sending me crazy. Well, going back yeah. to the end of life ward. Yeah. Did they try and operate on you? No, go on, Sean. No. What, what happened to get you off that? So they discharged me because they find that the tumour is, isn't growing at the rate fast enough. So they've had me under observation and it, so some tumours just go bang, 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 bigger, 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 and just wipe you out. All right. So this tumour, I'm getting up and I'm blacking out and I can't breathe and I can't see straight. And my vision was crazy. Like I could smell colours. Does that make sense? If I seen a, a dead strong colour, I could smell it. Yeah. Honestly, I could smell colours. Heard of that. But... Yeah. So I'd seen a strong colour and it hit my nose, make my pinch my nose. What, was it bad smell? It was just a weird, different smell, yeah, that very strong smells, yeah. And it had hit the back of my, my nose here and go, like, into my brain, into my eyes. And um, I was in a really bad way. So I had this brain injury and I've got this brain tumour, yeah. So I can't differentiate one from the other. So they don't tell me for ages that this is a benign tumour. So what it means by benign is it's not growing at a rate to cause them concern yet. But what's funny is I was dancing in a club one night and I met this girl with her brother and this girl used worked, actually worked in a ward, in a home where they, they have to care for brain tumours. And she says to me, it can take 15 years that we've had, people for tumours with 15 years and it's only just now being took out. They only now needed to take it out. So I go every single year to a neurosurgeon who's an Italian and he's crazy personality. So he said to me, oh, don't worry about it. If the tumour grows big, I just chop it out. <laughs> like he's talking about putting tomato sauce on pizza. That's what it reminds me of, Sean. He just I just chop it out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wow, he's talking about literally going into my brain because it's right here. I've seen, oh, me and Kara walked in the office and he had this x-ray, you know, that big screen, what they have with x-rays on? So they had an x-ray on my brain and you just see my brain, you just see this big white thing right there, right in the centre of my brain, dead centre of my forehead. Like third eye? Yeah, deep, bit deep in my brain, just bang. And I walked in and seen it, and my brain injury was sending me high all the time anyway, and it was just like I was, it was like I was in a dream. It's like I was watching myself from a third person. And I lived like that for years, and even now I get the effects of it. So I can sit back and breathe hard up my nose, and I can feel it going up the back of my neck, up into this area. So what I'm feeling is this nasal passage I feel it hitting somewhere on my nasal passage, you know, like you're breathing and things can get to your brain or they go down. I don't know. I just feel this. It feels like it's like a, it reminds me of um, one of those musical instruments you play. What's it called? The big brass thing like that. A trumpet. Like, no, the, yeah, the big long ones you get. Sax. A flute. Like sax. a saxophone. Oh, sax. That's what it reminds me of, like a saxophone. So when I breathe in, 
just get this like shape of a saxophone up inside my nose, inside my brain. Yeah. And I, these, why do you think my hair's long? Because what the pain and I couldn't let shavers go near my hair. So I tried to even touch my head and I couldn't touch it. I couldn't ask her, I couldn't touch my head because of this injury. And I've got to contend with this brain tumour as well. Do you know what I mean? And like, I'm on this morphine. They're just giving me morphine after morphine after morphine. And little did I, I did a bit of research on morphine. And what happens is if you've got a brain injury and you're getting morphine, it can give you more headaches. So that's, we found out that was giving me the headaches. My doctor, I told my doctor about it and he'd done some research and he phoned me and stopped it that day, there and then. He said, no more morphine. He said, because of this injury to your brain, it's giving you, it's adding to the the fingers, the, the pains, you know what I mean? So I went through a horrific time with that. So was the ball on the chain incident to do with the car park? It wasn't. It wasn't. It was to do with something completely different. It was pathetic what it was about. It was an absolute tragedy what it was about. There was a there was a second hand shop on my estate, what they have prisoners in there to I get into a routine. So they sell furniture and bicycles and clothes, second hand. When someone dies, their vans go up and un unplug all the electricals and get all the clothes delivered to them and they go through and check all the white goods and that. And there was a lad who uh, was working there who um, did quite well in there and he was selling bikes, like he was getting bike donations, but he was selling them really expensive. Not He wasn't selling them for anyone on the estate because it was too expensive. He was charging £70 for like some shed of a bike, what you could buy for 15 quid. But the people who was buying them was people who was coming and trying to support the charity. And he knew that, yeah. So... I got talking to him one day and because I was doing, I was learning to be a drug counsellor at the time and Kira was doing her courses as well, okay? She was learning to be a counsellor as well. So I was going to this course to be a counsellor and I was going to all these other courses linked into all these other places. So I was learning to like help people when they come out of prison to like get on the straight and narrow. So he said to me, oh, can you link me in with these places? So I said, what I can do is I can contact bicycle shops for you and see if they want to do any volunteering, helping you fixing. Because it was a room full of all bike frames and stuff. And he wanted basically to get them all built so he could sell them on the shop floor. Yeah, but he didn't, couldn't build them all himself. So I said, I'll go to bike shops and ask him. And I got in meetings with bike shops. And one day... I went in and he was just so arrogant and like, weird. he was like a different person, like this aggressive, like arrogant. And it put me on edge a little bit. I thought, wow, he, he can turn a bit. That's what I thought, you know what I mean? Like what it was, he was dealing with a customer or something and the guy said, said something about the bike and he just went, don't fucking have it then. And just like, get out. And just like, I thought, wow, this guy can fucking change like on a penny, all right? So I invited him to dinner at Kara's because I know Kara's a good judge of character. And he had his dinner, but he brought a suit 
a girl's bike, this old laptop, and something else he brought, right? And he brought all this stuff. Oh, you can have all this. I brought this stuff. What you can have? I've got it from a charity shop, yeah. But he said, the computer, can you help me set up like these things, what I want to set up? So we didn't really know what he was on about. He was just talking shit. And then as he's had his Sunday dinner off Kira, he didn't say thanks, nothing, nothing, nothing. He just put the plate on the floor. Like you don't eat dinner with someone like, and then just throw it on the floor. No. Right. And Kira like looked at me and went, like, he's not even said thanks. He's just like in his own fucking world. So when he went, Kira went, don't have him anywhere near me. There's something about him. But what I didn't want to tell her was, he told me a story and what the story was, was he said, yeah, my bird, I got locked up for my bird. So I said, why, what happened? He went, I had to break into her house to get to see my baby. So I went, why, what happened? He went, oh, I was arguing with her. And, and then this story started, went into this murky area that he broke into her house. She's run out in fear, clearly. And he's got the baby in the house. The police have come and they've nabbed him. So I could see through his story what he was saying, right? And he showed me pictures of his daughter and his daughter's got all these reinforced ties around her. So you can tell it's like a proper, you know, place where she is, protective place. And I could, as the way he was talking about women was disturbing. Right. He was very, very disturbing. His thought pattern wasn't right. And I knew what Kira had been through and I thought, no, nah, I'm just going to keep this guy away from us. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, no good at all. So what I did was I Googled his name, okay? And he's got a very, very popular name, what's known around the world. But he's got two names in the middle of it, what nobody knows, what I knew. So I Googled his full name and it come up that he was wanted a few years before for violently pushing an 82-year-old man off a 76 bus. Now, the 76 bus stop in Manchester is our local bus stop for our area. So basically, I read into it. We read the story. Kira has still got it somewhere, and it says, man gets on a bus, another man tries to push past him. Old man says to him somewhere, he pushes him violently off the bus. You know how many steps are on a bus, yeah. don't you? Violently pushes him. The guy goes flying, injuries, sustained injuries, got up to hospital and he was wanted. That's what we read. I didn't read the complete, you know, like him getting caught and what happened to him for that. But it just said that. So I thought, wow, he's keeping away from this guy. About a month later, I get this phone call and it goes, I want all my shit back. <laughs> I'm like, what? So when we opened the laptop... <clears throat> It had this most disgusting porn on it, you can imagine. Like you turned it on and it had this starter thing with like porn on the front. And it was disgusting. Kira saw it. Oh. I went, get that out of my house. It's fucking rotten. Whatever he's doing on that, I don't want no part of. Yeah, which is right. And I said, he sent me a message saying, I want my shit back. So I sent him a message saying, what? You can have these fucking bits of junk, mate. I've got fucking iPads around me. What do I want a fucking six-year-old laptop like that for? Forgot all about it. And it was him. And he's two other people who he did it with. High on these. That thing you get in America, that drug, what they're all taking in America, one of these very, very 
addictive drugs. He was buying it off the internet and sending himself off his cake on it. Like bath salts or something? Not one of them, yeah. He was taking, he was buying a drug off the internet and he was taking it. But it broke my heart that he did that to me. Broke my heart. Yeah, I've never named him, identified him or anything like that. You know what I mean? They got caught in their own right, you know what I mean, for their own stupidity. But me personally, I've, I said, I can't identify him. But let me tell you something. One of them, I caught him, right? Me and Kira was in a supermarket one day. And this lad's come up to me. And Kira's gone, you fucking scumbag. You ran in, you Do you know what you did to him? You give him brain damage. Do you know what? You fucked him up. You ripped him off. And at the time, I couldn't really see in the hair proper, right? So... He's going, Marv, it wasn't me. I swear down, it wasn't me. Yeah. So I'm not saying how I know it was him, but I'm 100% it was him, right? But if the police ever asked me who did it, I'd say I don't know. Okay? Put it that way. But I know 100% it was him. And Kira's going, you lying bastard. Are you trying to tell him it wasn't him? And he's in my face going, Marv, it wasn't me. Well, I just, I punched him and I was trying to, hurt him, put it that way. And um, I knocked him out, stood up, and he hit the floor face first and smashed his face off the floor. And I went to stand on his face. I'd had this vision for months that I was going to bump into him. One of the three of them I had a vision, because it's not one person. If you get assaulted off a gang, not one of them gang could brag and say, yeah, I did that, because it's not. It's like having a man with six heart, six. Six arms and legs, isn't it, in front mm. of you? You you can't fight multiple people. Do you know what I mean? So my anger got to me and I hit him. Or he alleged I hit him anyway, okay? He alleged I hit him, right? And he's on the floor. And um, I want to just stand on his head to tell you the truth I want to stand on his jaw I had a vision of doing it for months so I'm just about to stand and Kira has just come in front of me and went no mm-hmm. pulled me back like that but I dismissed her and I went to went to attack him right and this Asian man with a t-shirt yellow t-shirt just come out of nowhere and just went no mate he's had enough He's had enough. He's had enough. So this guy's rolling all over the supermarket trying to get him to come back to his senses. And me and Kira leave. And do you know that that man reported it to the police? Straight to the cops. Mm. Reported it to the police. I went into the... This is how I know for a fact he did. I went into the supermarket, me and Kira, one day, and the guy, he was a security guard... He's not there anymore. I don't work there, so I don't care what I say. The security guard says to me, have you just been nicked? Have you been nicked? So I said, why? He went, day before yesterday, the police come in for the evidence. There'd been an allegation that you've assaulted someone in the store, but the cameras, I shown him, he said, the camera, what they asked for, the cameras I gave him, was down this aisle where you couldn't see what happened. Kara's got the video on the phone. I'll have to show it to you later what yeah. happens. So you can't see any assault happen. So I won't say I assaulted him. I'll say he alleged I assaulted him, okay? 
So after I've dealt with him, allegedly dealt with him, yeah, the 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 world itself come back to its energy and you know, as he's got up, he's hit the floor and he smashed his face off the floor. That wasn't me doing that, is it? It's not me. No. That's him, he's himself. So I, I didn't touch him. The energy, what what had built up around it, turned into the fact that he was all over the floor trying to recover his senses. But the video, you can't see no assault on it. So I didn't, I, he alleges I assaulted him. Do you know what I mean? But since then, I've been back to his house because he lives quite local to me. And I've knocked on his door and I've said, have you got an apology for me? Because I ain't scared of going to his house. Why it wasn't him, it was six, six arms and legs. So I've been to him and said, have you got an apology for me? And he's gone, why? I said, you, he, he like went to shut his door. I said, do you know what you did to me? To my brain? Like you fucking really caused some serious damage. Do you know what I mean? And he just dismissed it and shut the door and pulled his big daft curtain behind his door. And I thought, you're pathetic. Like, you couldn't do it now. Do you know what I'm saying? But what happened is, I got, the day I got discharged from the hospital, I went to his house. And I've gone in, I've got picked up a spade out of his front garden and all his kids' bikes are in the garden. And I started smacking it. And I started volleying the door and it's 20 past eight in the morning. I'd just been discharged from hospital. I'm walking up the road with Kerr. We've just, we've just been discharged. I've just been discharged. And I go straight to him. Yeah, go straight to him. On the way up, I get a bottle and say, Kerr, get that bottle and mine that for me. And there's a spade in his garden. So I start whacking the door with the spade. He opens his top window and he goes, what? And I go, you fucking little scumbag, get out here now. And he won't come out. And you know what he did? This is how much of a coward some people are. He stayed upstairs and his kids, who was about three, come to the, the door, which had a piece of glass on it. And I seen a pair of hands at the door. So he thought I was playing. As I'm volleying the door, this little kid's thought I'm playing. I'm oh. doing it back. So innocent. And... <clears throat> I didn't have the art to, to do anymore. I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the art to, you know what I mean? Like what was behind that door was not something what I wanted to do. As much as like, do you know what I'm saying? It's cowered up in the window and and he didn't have the, the, the guts, the balls to come in front of me. And to this day, he hasn't, you know what I mean? Um, um, so yeah, I got diagnosed with a brain tumor. What gets checked every single year? There's nothing worse than knowing I've got a ticking time bomb in my brain, because it, it's going to take me eventually. Event, like I'm glad Kara's not here because we can talk about it now. But it's going to take my life eventually, isn't it? It's going to do something. It's going to, it's going to touch. You got the something. Italian ready to just whip it out. Yeah. But I wish I didn't know I had it. People, some people have said that's a blessing in disguise that, but it's not. Stress. I'd rather know that I've not got it. It just come one day, they operate, say, mate, you fell on the floor and you had a tumour in your brain, they cut it out. Now I've got to live with it every single day, knowing that it's there, knowing that eventually it's going to, or I'll die of a car crash before it or something will happen. But do you know what I mean? It's there ticking away. Like, all he says to me is, if you get any... 
wobbles because I get a lot of pain with the injury, the residue of the injury, Got a, get a lot of migraines and stuff, yeah. But he said to me, if you get any of balance issues, because I know the difference, so like your balance starts going, do you know what I mean? Like this is one injury, but when your balance starts going, and I can taste it up here somewhere in the back oh. of my nose as well, which is horrible, you know, sometimes I smack my lips and I can taste this, whatever goes on. Yeah, but it's um, it's an horrific thing to live with, knowing that every day I've got to, one day I'm going to get up and I'm going to wobble the wrong way, do you know what I mean? So, so it's scary, yeah, it's scary. And people have said to me, why you, why you didn't take drugs? Why you didn't relapse after that happened to you? I'll never know. Like, go and grab back onto the drugs, what you used to, but I didn't. No way was I going to do it, do you know what I mean? I just point back refused to return to drugs. You know, it would have been easy to just start using it as an escape again, but there was no way I was going to do it. I mean, once I stopped, I never never did it again, do you know? I don't. Yeah, so yeah, every day is a every day is a mad one, really, isn't it? It's crazy. Um so I've got my stuff going on. Um the baby's got his stuff going on and Kira's got her stuff going on. But we make a good family. We do. We do. Yeah. So how we um how we manage is through perseverance and a lot of biting tongues and a lot of allowing things to happen and just the small battles, just letting them win the small battles. Do you know what I mean? Like Very inspirational. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like the baby wants two ice pops. He can have two ice pops. <laughs> it ain't going to change the world if he does only has one. He can have, if he's crying for two, just let him have two. You know what I mean? Let him win the little wars, the little battles let him have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I do the same with myself now. Let myself win the little battles, you know what I mean? So if things are getting too on top for me, I'll go back to basics and look at a flower in the garden or something and just think yeah. of the magnificence of how it's got there and stuff. And that's an inspiration, isn't it? You know, when you see that little bit of weed coming through the concrete, that's an inspiration. <laughs> it's a little fighter. The buggers never go, do they? Yeah, they never go, yeah. I'll never weed kill them, no. I don't weed kill anything. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so my journey has been like a roller coaster journey like meeting the birth family and everything has just been incredible it's just been a trip but the brain tumor thing and the brain injury thing is something else altogether but it is what it is you've just got to accept it aren't you and get on with every day and fight every day aren't you yeah so we're we're battlers me and her, like we've fought every day to better ourselves and better our lives, do you know what I mean? And um, nothing's going to stop that ever. We're going to keep trying and keep pushing away. Oh, you'll get that. Yeah, and I believe Kira's uh, going to nail it too. It's very hard to live. Just live Just live an everyday life is hard when you carry a lot of baggage. Isn't it? So... I keep my circle small because I can't have other people's problems of affecting my own. Do you know what I mean? So I keep my people who I speak to and I put 100% into them. Yeah, but I don't I don't 
go out looking for friends and have tons of friends. I've just not really wanted it since I've got my brain tumour because I don't want to upset them. If I die tomorrow, they're going to be very upset, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? So something what I don't want to get, let people get too close. So then they can't be sad. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how I look at it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly strong, man. Yeah. yeah. Mind blowing, man. Today it's just like built and built and built and just got more and more intense. Yeah. I think the viewers are now just like, whoa, the minds are blown as well. So, yeah. let, you know, let us know in the comments what you think. Be looking forward to the book, Born in Prison. Yeah. And more parts. Yeah, what's coming up in part We've three? We've got some amazing parts in part three. Oh, We've God, give us surprises. a teaser. We've got, me and Kira have got some good surprises for you guys. Like, uh, <laughs> some amazing, whole some amazing yeah. stories, some amazing stories. Uh, God, looking for, oh, my God, I remember the police are banging on the door to come and take me away. And I've got a drug parcel, what I've been stashing and building and building and building because I know I'm wanted. And I swear I had kept it, in my, I've had it on me. And the police are banging at the door going, we're just waiting for the sergeant to green light the ram because we know you're in because they've got to be sure you're in to take your door off. But these guys know I'm in. They know I am in. Yeah. So me and Kira used to get all our kitchen equipment and bring it in the living room and make a little square in the living room and just use that square and not move. Like, because she didn't want me to go away when I wasn't wanted. So one day I've looked for this drug parcel I've had to go in the bathroom. I've had to go in the bed. I can't find it anywhere. I've stripped myself naked. I'm bollock naked, going, Kira, where is it? Where is it? And she's going, I don't fucking know. But you shouldn't be taking it in anyway, she said to me. And I'm saying, why don't be giving me lectures when the fucking police are outside the door? And I didn't, never did find it. And you know where it was? It was behind a thing in the bath, you know, um, uh, a shower gel. <laughs> so when I'd washed, I'd put it down and... Yeah. I forgot to put it back. So it was a shower gel. Oh, oh, oh. my God, I lost my parcel for a shower gel. I would have lived like a king in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I would have lived like a king. <laughs> and like, you know, when you um, take a drug parcel in prison, you're like a king. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk a bit, a few more prison stories. I've got some absolutely crazy ones. Bat flips off the fours, landing onto the twos, nettings. Yeah, you doing bat flips, going in the dryer for... Um, Snap black blackberry messenger, getting in the dryers and doing a few cycles in a dryer for a laugh. Done a few of them. I've, you know, there'll be someone who'll show you a few clips of me in a dryer one day. I used to do it for a month. I hope so. <laughs> wow. And what do you say to the young people tempted by the drugs and gang lifestyle? I would say, don't get your fingers burnt. Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to get, you're playing with fire. You're absolutely playing with fire. Because if you're, if you're part of a gang, you will do things what you wouldn't have done before. You'll get put in situations what you'd never have done on your own. Uh, you'll go too far. And if things come at you, you're going to try and equal it. So if someone chases your mate down the road with a knife, what are you going to go and do? Go and get a bigger knife and go and chase them. So it's just as basic as that, isn't it? And what you've got to remember is, what I tell kids to take note at is, there's always a bigger fish. 
You're never going to turn into Tony Montana or Scarface. It's never going to go that way for you, okay? I'll tell you why. There is always, the big fish is already up there. He's already reached the top. You're not finding him. You're not making it to them levels. You're going to get 25 years in prison or die. Mm, Try to reach it. And people can reach out to you on Instagram, is it? Instagram, yeah, Lee Marvin Hitchman. And your channel? My channel, I mean, it's just my name. Karen and Lee Marvin, <laughs> tell it all network, it's called, yeah. And that's on YouTube. That's on YouTube, yeah. yeah. That's just a compilation of all our interviews. But we are going to do one or two lives when the book's out and stuff or... Got it. Maybe got it. I might do a couple of lives, me and Kira. <laughs> got it. Got it. Love got you guys. It. Thank but, you very much. Right, thank you. Hug, brother. Hug time, guys. Let's go get some